and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. We got a great show lined up for you tonight. A lot of stuff we're going to get into. Uh, we got some new guests coming on, and one return guest, Gary Hunt, who will be with us in hour number two for a half hour. It's great to be here today. We got a lot going on, getting a lot done here at the studio. A whole bunch of stuff is is going on behind the scenes, and it should be a, a great week. I am uh, Joe Hagman, the co-host, along with my father Doug Hagman, who is here in studio, and finally seated. Behind his mic, I told Eric that uh, I get the first fifteen if you're not here right at seven. Take it. And you were in the office there, and I thought, well, he's not going to be late. Take it, take it, take it. No, it's all right. We uh, we're trying some new stuff here on the show, and um, we're going to get right into it. Well, uh, yeah, and and welcome, folks, and and thanks so much for your uh, belief and your trust in us uh, as well. <laughs> the um, one of the reasons I was late to sitting down here is uh, f- to those listening to this sh- uh, to this program live. Um, open another, another browser window if you don't mind. Go to homelandsecurityus.com. That's homelandsecurityus.com, and click on the uh, article there. Now, let me warn you. In that article, there are two photographs. There are two photographs at the bottom of that article. All right. If you're easily triggered, don't. Um, what I was going to start out with, and, and I'm going to touch on this. I'm, I'm still going to touch on this, but what I was going to start out with was uh, the news about Hillary Clinton and such, and and the Russians and all that, everything that, that you hear and are getting tired of hearing, we need to kind of just go through some of that. And we will as the program unfolds. But um, many of you know Russ Dizdar, Shatter the Darkness.net, comes on right before our radio program. Uh, of course, he does a lot of work with the satanic ritual abuse victims. And um, I was not going to lead off with this, but I, I, it's on my heart to do so. Folks, if you go to HomelandSecurityUS.com, click on the link and uh, the, the top story. We need your help. We need your help. Child trafficking is real. We need your help. Look, th- there are people out there who believe Pizzagate is nothing more than a distraction or, or not real. It's real. It's just mischaracterized in the media. It, it, there are people out there who believe that Pedagate is just overblown. The false memory system, sy- syndrome is part of this. Well, they're facilitators in a, in, in a lie. Um, here's here's why I'm directing people to HomeLandSecurityUS.com and also my, tw- my own personal Twitter feed if you want to uh, share this on social networking. Uh, there are two photographs in that article. The, uh, right at the bottom of the article that uh, are of a young boy. Now, we have some, this, uh, Russ, and, Russ and I and even Eric the Tech, uh, we had a meeting yesterday 
Sunday. This is an active case. There's an active case involved in this. I can't tell you everything about this. I cannot tell you everything about this. Um, if you, here's what we're looking for. Anyone who recognizes, now anyone who, who knows, has personal knowledge of those images, to please send us an email, studio at hagman and hagman.com with the uh, subject line photo. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you expect anonymity, you ain't going to get it. If you're a witness, I mean, if, if you're, if you're fearing for your life and you, and you want to turn evidence, of course, we will, we will help you. Um, however, there's a lot at stake here. A lot that, there's a lot at stake here and, uh, I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to get into everything, but the fact of the matter is we need your help. And if you've got, if you have any sense of decency, morality, any sense of, uh, spirituality, we need your help. We need your help now. And, uh, you know, we are, we, Russ Dizdar is on the front lines. Our team is on the front lines. We don't just talk about these issues. We don't just talk about these issues, um, and do nothing about them. We, we don't say there's a problem and do nothing about them. Craig Sawyer is out there. Uh, he's got an organization, Liz Croak, and of course reports on these. And, and, uh, the honeybee and many other great citizen investigative journalists and citizen researchers. They do a lot. Well, we're in the, we're in the, we're in the trenches as well. And we've got some of the top best investigators in the country, uh, that are volunteering their time. We cover their expenses. I cover their expenses. Okay. We, the Hagman Report covers their expenses in our group. They ask for nothing in return. Okay, been asked for money. Of course not. But when we need we need your help on this issue. There's there are two photographs. Please, please take a look at homelandsecurityus.com. Just put these up just before airtime. And I, I I had we I had these I've had these for um, well I'm just not going to get into I'm not going I I can't get into this except to say they're there. Open that article up, but be prepared at the bottom there are images. If you have any personal knowledge of these images, if you've seen them before on the internet, the dark web, please send an email to studio at Hagman and HagmanReport.com. Alright, this is not a game. Pizzagate is not a game. You know, uh, Maria, uh, uh, Ebermovic, that's not a game. Uh, Spirit cooking is not a game. Child sex trafficking is not a game. And it's about time Christians, so-called Christians, uh, have some balls and, and, and start getting in the game. Put some skin in the game. You must, you must have skin in the game. You can't let fear overtake you. You can't live in fear. And if my, if my words offend you, well, there are other channels out there, other shows out there that of course won't offend you. But, we need help on this one. We need help. Now, there are things we know about this image, about these images. Trust me when I tell you, we, there, don't try, don't try to hoodwink. Don't try to, don't try to screw with us, okay? 
if that's your intent, that would be a really bad mistake. Take a look at these images, HomelandSecurityUS.com, or go to my Twitter feed, at HagmanPI. Pass it around. Ask people, whatever. Need your help in this. All right. If you know, if you have personal knowledge about these images, about these photographs, two, just two. You won't find any current metadata in, in the photographs. Don't look, don't even bother looking for them. It's, it's out there, obviously. Uh, and again, we know about, we know a lot about, or we know certain things about these. So we know, we could tell, uh, we'll be able to tell with respect to, uh, your response. So please do not try to, uh, do not try to uh, hoodwink us into thinking that uh, you know into sending us down some some dirt path. All right, and I want to thank you in advance for doing that. And and uh, if if you don't want to, if by the way, if you don't want to email us, you can email Russ Dizdar. And uh, it, it, certainly, okay. Um, and if you know what I'm talking about, then you know Russ's email address. Last Friday, there was a uh, there was a release of of emails to to Judicial Watch. Huma Abedin, her emails released. Isn't it interesting? Um, six more Clinton email exchanges not previously turned over to the State Department bringing the known total to date to at least 439 emails that were not part of the 55,000 pages of emails that Clinton turned over to the State Department, and further contradicting a statement by Clinton that, and I quote, as far as she knew, as far as I knew, all of her government emails had been turned over to the State Department, six more bringing the total of 439 emails. And it's interesting because uh, Huma Abedin's emails, the uh, actually, there's 449 emails that were turned over to Judicial Watch. Of the 449 labeled Huma Abedin, there are two PDF packets, two, P- two PDF uh, packages. It does it does contain um, classified information. Many pages were wholly deleted, and I find that very interesting. And it's interesting the fact that Judicial Watch is getting these in dribs and drabs, but from the initial lawsuit that was filed against uh, the State Department. But one thing I'm going to bring your attention to, and this has not been made known anywhere, as far as I could tell, on page 73 of the second PDF document that contains pages 225 to 448, there's a heavily redacted reply to Huma Abedin from her mother, Saleya Abedin, that is disturbing once it is understood in its proper context. Folks, a foreign national with close ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, who is also the mother of the Deputy Chief of Staff to then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, is heavily influencing policy decisions within the Department of State. Now, Saleya Abedin Huma Abedin's mother is part of, of course, the Muslim Sisterhood, which is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. And the, um, she is recommending in this email, now, Huma Abedin's mother, Saleh Abedin, is a foreign national with close ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, as I mentioned. Also, mother to Huma, deputy, uh, Chief of Staff to then Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton. Well, she's heavily influencing policy decisions 
within the government of the United States and our State Department. These decisions will advance a pro-Sharia agenda and hate speech legislation that will have a negative impact on the Constitution, our rights, your rights as citizens of this country. It was last Friday where Judicial Watch published the 448 pages of emails. We went through them this weekend, and there's a lot of interesting information in there. The pay-to-play stuff here, by the way, is, and you can't really see this, but this is, in fact, uh, the uh, Hillary Clinton email, page 73, the 225-page, or the uh, 448, 448-page document, second PDF file. This is all redacted right here, folks. Which, if, you, if you're if you're listening to this on Global Star BTR, basically all you're seeing is a blank uh, space right there. But what this does state is that uh, um, that she is giving advice to Huma with respect to who to pick as an envoy to the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. That is the 57 states, folks, that um, uh, Barack Hussein Obama, you know, just got, got confused with the 50 states, of course. But that's important to note because in addition to the uh, pay-to-play scandals and schemes and the embarrassing BS that goes on within that, those, those emails, Huma Abedin's emails contain secured files, classified information, classified files. They should be going to jail, or at least there should be a federal criminal investigation that has yet to take place we want to know why, and of course we're asking those questions. It's disturbing on so many levels that, of course, it, that this matter, not an investigation, but this matter, that legitimate scandal, uh, this is a legitimate scandal and criminality that exists at this level that the corporate mass media refuses to even acknowledge. Now, you better, better be ready in uh, one minute uh, 30 because uh, I'm coming right to you there, my brother, my son. Uh, Just so I'm you know ready. that. Okay. All right. So, uh, but having said all of that, the, uh, let's not forget the Hillary Clinton's foundation hit $2.35 million in foreign donations from the head of the Russian government's uranium company that had Russian, or had business before, uh, Clinton State Department, a clear violation of the memorandum of understanding with the Obama administration. See, it's, it's the illusion of collusion, Russian collusion between Donald Trump, his sons, and the Russian Ambassador of the Russian attorney, yet $2.35 million foreign donations from the head of the Russian government's uranium company right to the Clinton Foundation. Okay. It, even the New York Times confirmed that Hillary Clinton violated the memorandum of understanding as she signed with the Obama administration to take the position as the um, Secretary of State, you know. And this is revealed in Clinton Cash. Ian Tuffler, the foreign head of the Russian-owned uranium company, Uranium One, which Hillary Clinton approved to acquire U.S. uranium, made four individual hidden donations to the Clinton Foundation, totaling that $2.35 million, none of which happened to appear in the Clinton disclosures. Lastly, to just wrap this up, Bill Clinton also bagged half a million dollars for a speech in Moscow paid for a Kremlin-linked bank. Where is the investigation on that? I ask you. The illusion of collusion, that is the criminality, the crime of the century. The influence peddling and, of course, the pro-Sharia, anti-First Amendment, Islamophobic uh, hate, uh, structuring uh, against our Constitution. Huma Abedin, Hillary Clinton, there you go. Muslim Brotherhood infiltration, and of course, taking down our, company, our country from within. 
there you have there you have it. Uh, check out Judicial Watch. I'll be having a report on that uh, coming up here shortly. All right. I'm going to kick it over to you for the news wrap. Well, you know, today I don't really have a, a lightning round. There is some stuff going on, but, you know, I guess what's important, um, I guess we can start off with uh, a few things that I see as important. One is the health care vote in the Senate and John McCain's health seems to be an interesting issue that people are speaking of. Now, John McCain, um, he's an infamous senator by now, um, a never-Trumper, part of the Russia-Trump scandal that's ongoing. He tried to dig up dirt on Trump during the time of the election. Always has been a uh, kind of an odd guy, but his health has, from what I read, has taken a turn for the worse when doctors found a blood clot uh, during some kind of surgery he was receiving. And many people are asking, well, what is wrong with John McCain? Will he be back on the Senate floor? Or is this uh, health condition something a lot worse than what is even being initially reported? These are all questions that are out there about John McCain. And there's been, um, we haven't seen any, any real updates today. I haven't seen any real updates today. And uh, hopefully we get more here in the near future. But he was hospitalized with a blood clot. And that being the reason, apparently, for the latest reason is why health care is not going to make it smoothly through the Senate. And it it is frustrating to watch to see, you know, the we have the the Republican Senate, the Republican House, and a president in office who has stated publicly that he would sign a health care bill into law if the House and Senate agreed upon it and sent it to him. Now, one thing that's interesting is, while Obama was was president during his last term, the the Senate passed sixty seven replace and repeal bills. The House and or Senate passed 67 replace and repeal bills, knowing full well they would never be signed into law by then-President Obama. So my question is, was that all being done for show, for the purposes of political grandstanding, or uh, are they now unable to actually come together and work to an agreement on health care? This is one of the major issues that people... Uh, across America are concerned about the stopping of the penalties through the IRS if you don't have insurance and a number of other important aspects of health care. They were hoping to see parts of the the Obamacare bill rolled back, repealed, and replaced with a new health care bill that is more friendly to the average person that will bring down premiums that will uh, alleviate the tax that is attached to those who they say don't have health insurance. But again, we see uh, no movement except a bill that was passed by the House just a few months back. And people are beginning to ask, you know, why can't, why aren't these politicians working together to, working together to get this done? And it's becoming a, a, a controversial is, issue as to why the Republicans in the House and the Senate can't even find a few Democrats and uh, work together to bring this about. But again, last year, or last the uh, presidential administration, Obama, 67 repeal and replace bills were passed. Now they can't get any done. It's very interesting, uh, and we'll continue to watch as the whole nation will to see what happens. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, a little unconventional, as we're, uh, we see some news about OJ Simpson, uh, possibly getting ready for parole as early as October 1st. There was a, an OJ Simpson special on headline news last night. 
And then there's a few stories that I've been following, uh, interesting murder mystery stories. I don't know how many people uh, saw this, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions. There was an Australian woman who was engaged to be married to, to an American, was shot by police in Minneapolis after she called 911 to report a crime. And for some reason, the 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 camera inside the, the trooper's car was not turned on. The body cameras were not turned on. And it's come out that the police officer was a uh, Somalian-American, been on the force just a few years, since 2015. And there's a lot of questions as to the motive or what happened. From what I've seen, I have not seen an official story from the police. Many people are crying injustice. Others are trying to get to the bottom of this. And I think this would be an interesting story to keep your eyes on throughout the week as uh, the developments unfold. You know, we've seen a lot of the opposite types of cases where you have a, a an African-American person who's shot by white police officers receiving a ton of, of backlash and rightfully so in certain circumstances. <laughs> but, uh, you're making me crack up on air there. But, um, in this case, it's, it's the other way around. Uh, whatever that's worth. I, I don't know what is the motive or what was the reason for the shooting. We haven't seen really any information. I haven't seen any information. But this is an interesting story that I'm going to keep my eye on. I'm sure many people are going to keep their eye on as it is becoming a, a nationwide news story as I heard it on a number of stations today. Another interesting story I've been following, and I'm not sure many people across the country have, there was a case of four missing uh, adult males in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, stemming from July 5th through the 13th in Bucks County. Well, there was um, a, a police searches of, of different properties and excavation done at a Cosmo DiNardo's house, his parents' house, and they found uh, a number of, of charred remains. And long story short, the Cosmo DiNardo confessed to the killing of four of uh, people, young young male adults, due to uh, during drug deals. But he, there's a lot more that was that's not being told. Apparently, uh, from the local Philadelphia CBS local, they're reporting today that the Cosmo DiNardo, the same one who is wanted or is in jail for the deaths of the four others, have confessed to, has confessed to two other killings besides the four in the last five years. More information about this is, is uh, going to continue to roll out, but the, my, my question was, if, if this wasn't, if the four boys wasn't a spree killing, which is what it looked like it really could have been, then uh, this, if this is true, if he has confessed to two other killings and they really were, uh, he can back that up with, with the evidence then it looks like he was some kind of uh, serial killer or thrill killer. Very strange and interesting story, either way. All right, now we can get into some news. Folks, go to HagmanReport.com. Check out the latest there. Uh, actually, World Net Daily sent us an article draining the D.C. swamp, starting with Paul Ryan's district. It's an interesting piece up on, on HagmanReport.com. And there's some other interesting uh, news up there. Uh, coming out of Germany, sexual assaults and shocking violence involving migrants near Germantown Fair. You know, we continue to see stories like this, and, and they say shocking. Uh, you know, the police were shocked, and uh, there was a town fair in a, ger- a small German town that turned violent over the weekend with multiple sexual assaults reported. And there's a whole host of things that are going on there. You know, we continue to see these stories. 
uh, in European countries about the the refugees and sexual assaults, and you continue to see the media defending uh, and, and shying away from from this line of, of uh, subject when talking about the the immigration from a number of Middle Eastern nations all across Europe and the U.S. But we continue to see the the violence and the I don't want to say true nature of of the immigrants, but it continues to be an escalating problem that is not being addressed by the people who are setting the immigration policy, and they do that they're doing this on purpose. And this speaks to a bigger problem that we have not only in our own country but in the European nations that are, you know, funneling people through open borders intentionally, trying to balance some kind of societal power in sway of the Im- immigrants to the point where the immigrants have special rights and privileges even over many of the long-standing citizens. <coughs> uh, moving on here in the last minute before we go to the break, this story was one of the first ones I posted on Hagman Report today. Hungarian government steps up to fight against George Soros. And the Hungarian government is taking a very close look at George Soros, calling it the investigation a matter of national security. After a two-year battle to keep migrants out of the country, Hungary has directed its full attention towards one of its own billionaire investors, George Soros. Hungarian private, private, uh, Prime Minister Orban wrapped up a six-week anti-Soros campaign Saturday in the streets of Budapest filled with posters and billboards of the Hungarian-born billionaire with the caption, Don't let Soros get the last laugh. The campaign follows a series of moves to halt Soros' operation in the country. The government argues that Soros is pushing for a one million migrant influx to the country per year. It is now trying to impose legislation that would force the NGOs in the country to reveal where their funding originates and the purpose for which the money was received. In Hungarian public life, there is a single important element which is not transparent, Soros Mafia-style network and its agent organizations. A spokesman for the Prime Minister told the Daily Caller Foundation, this is why the government insisted that Parliament decide on making these organizations transparent as the Hungarian people have a right to know who represents what and for what purposes. This will be another story that will be worth keeping your eye on as we have a a government here going after George Soros and his network as he continues to try to change the immigration policy in Hungary, uh, trying to bring in over a million immigrants, even as the, the country and the government says no. Folks, we're up against the break. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. 
Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. to this edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. Uh, we've got a, a guest. Uh, folks, you know, I, I love I love people who are knowledgeable about current events, about news, about uh, and who are ahead of their time in terms of news, information, politics, um, all of this. I love I, I love I love to talk to people who um, can can have measured analysis on issues of the day. Our current guest right now for the next segment is Mike Rizar. He's an author at, uh, he's got his articles up at American Thinker. If you go to American Thinker and just, uh, just look for the articles by Mike Rizar, R-A-Z-A-R. Uh, you know, it was about four years ago that uh, American Thinker published an article about immigration, his, his article about uh, immigration reform. And you know, at that time, he, uh, uh, the, at that time, the issue of paying for the wall was not really being discussed yet. He wrote a, a second article that addressed that, the main recommendation that he had just made was to augment, augment the penalties on companies that, who employ illegals, um, with a tax or fine or fee. About five dollars per hour or more for each such employee, and should that be adopted, for example, the revenue could be initially earmarked to pay for the wall. Good idea. We, you know, we've talked in part and parcel in in the past about uh, issues like that. Uh, consider that a million full-time employees would uh, 
or uh, yeah, employees would raise around uh, ten billion each year. Uh, I'm not so sure the employees or employers would want to be paying for that uh, uh, that penalty. But nonetheless, once the wall is paid for the money, if it continued, could uh, certainly be fund fund uh, many other useful programs. Very novel idea. So that is the type of article. Uh, but Mr. Rosar doesn't just stop with immigration reform. He covers health care. He covers tax reform. He covers the Constitution, which, oh, my goodness, his articles there, uh, just incredible. Mike Rosar, thanks for joining us on the Hagman Report. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. We can. It's a little... Getting some feedback. I, I may have another may have the window open with your show on it, and so I'm. Uh, yeah, that that might be a little bit confusing if uh, if you've got yeah. a second window with the show. That, so if you can yeah. kind of kill that. Let me see if I can. See if I can. Because uh, there's a delay, which which always screws me up. Yeah, this is my first time, so. I, no worries, brother. No yeah. worries. Um. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can close that window, but your articles are, are absolutely astounding. The, uh, the analysis that you provide to your readers, the amount of writing that you do. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible from immigration, as I said, to healthcare to tax reform. Uh, where do you want to, where do you want to start? What's on your heart? Uh, you, you want to start talking about the immigration or you want to start talking about, uh, you want to start out with the, uh, which subject do you want to start out with? Well, I think the the immigration's a nice start a nice start for introduction to my ideas because it's it's fairly self contained. Uh you know, tax reform, medical care reform, those really extend quite far and, and I'm uh I'm not sure that as as a first introduction to me that that, that's the best. But the, let's talk about the immigration reform. Yeah, let's do that. I, I do I have read your articles. I find some of your ideas absolutely fascinating, and, and your your the way you, your your approach to immigration reform very uh, I would say effective. So yeah, so let's talk about the problem, your ideas, how to solve it. Yeah. Okay. The the, the when you look at immigration reform, it's it's almost surprising that it's a problem, and let me tell you why I say that. There's, there should be a natural constituency on the left. To prevent workers from pouring into this country and taking away jobs from poorer Americans. Wouldn't right. you think? I mean, if you think about what the left claims they stand for, but one might think that. Uh, of course, one would be wrong to think that. Uh, and if you look at the laws, there are already some fairly tough laws on the books uh, that provide serious penalties for people who hire Illegal aliens. I hope you don't mind that I use the phrase illegal aliens, uh, since I think calling things by their proper name can be useful. Sometimes. We would not have it any other way, sir. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Okay. Uh, so you have all these people coming in because pe- there are other people who are willing to pay them to do jobs that they claim, if I can put it in quotes, Americans just won't do. They're supposedly jobs Americans just won't do. I take it those jobs include things like picking tomatoes, lettuce. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what. I'm, I'm, I'm not an agricultural. Anything person. menial, probably. But yep. Anything menial, yeah. Yep. Doing gardening, uh, you know, cutting your lawn, whatever it might be. 
Uh, and I tried some years ago about, this was, goes back four years, the article was written four years ago, I'm afraid it goes back five years. I tried to look into, uh, why, uh, why those jobs have to go to, to Mexicans or to other, to non-Americans. And there doesn't seem to be any good reason. Uh, I think, though, if you look at the wages, they're pretty low. So when you say Americans just won't do a job, there's a, there's a phrase left out or a clause left out, which is they won't do a job at the low wages being offered by the producers. Now, it's nice to have cheap food. It's nice to have subsidized tomatoes. I'm a conservative, but I don't believe that we ought to have our food subsidized by the hard work of underpaid people who, who are working for below uh, a, a wage that the market would declare uh, fair. What is a fair market wage? A fair market wage is whatever you have to pay, how much you have to pay to get people to do the job. Right. That's capitalism. All right. If you don't like it, don't say you're for capitalism. There you go. Yep. Okay. Now, so maybe we have to pay more for tomatoes. If you do the calculations, I, I did the calculations back then. We're talking about a penny or two more for tomato to, to, to have a very substantial. I mean, think about it. You pick a lot of tomatoes in an hour. That's right. I'm not asking for backbreaking work any more than it already is, but let's not pretend that we're, that we're talking about, you know, doubling or tripling the price of tomatoes. We're not. Um, and I don't mean to pick on the poor tomatoes, but, uh, if you, if you look at the situation then, you find that the excess value of having cheap labor seems to redound mostly not to the benefit of consumer, American consumers, but to the big agricultural companies. Now, I have nothing against big agricultural companies. I admire them. I want them in our country. Uh, and I, I want them to, have to hire people at, at a fair way, at a fair wage, by a fair, again, a fair, a market wage. Uh, so, what, what, what I see is happening is you have a group of people who come in, I hate to use the word exploit, but they get exploited by these growers. Okay. Because since they're illegal, they can't really complain too much about it. Yeah. Who, who are you going to complain to? And I agree with that. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, so I, I looked into it and I saw that the, you know, the, we, now you could enforce the laws on the books. If there was a will to enforce the laws already on the books, you could put the, the managers of these agricultural companies in jail. I mean, there are, there are some pretty strict laws on the books. They don't get enforced. Now, I've heard people call for enforcing those laws on talk shows, on in editorials and whatever. Uh, but it doesn't happen. How many yeah, years? Exactly. Yeah, if I can interrupt you, just I just want to interrupt you, and I apologize. I don't normally do this. Um, you just remind me of about 15 years ago. I was working a case, and I had to interview uh, the owner of an apple orchard in upstate New York. And it was just, it had nothing to do with anything with regard to illegals. When I got out of my vehicle, I had to, uh, somebody came to the, there's a gated area, gated area, but the orchards were visible from where I was at, and I had to produce uh, produce my, my badge. And when I did that, you, 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 all I saw were elbows and heels uh, taken off down the field. You know, okay. Uh, just to throw some humor into this, but but go ahead with your story. Uh, they thought I was immigration, and I wasn't. The question is: Are there any laws that you can put on the books that would be enforced? 
Right. Really, that's a very simple question. Or is it, is there so little will to enforce the laws that they wouldn't be? Well, I thought, which laws get enforced? Well, the ones that, I, that are enforced best are the ones I like least. <laughs> Those are the tax laws. Okay. If I were to, if I were to not withhold, if I had an employee and didn't withhold the tax or worse, withheld the tax and didn't remit it to the government, I could be pretty confident I would very quickly get a visit from a friendly or not so friendly IRS agent. The IRS, for all its faults, and it has many, does seem serious about collecting taxes that are due. Enough people, we have a normal, we all know enough people who've had that, that experience. Uh, I myself was audited at various times in my life, and believe me, it's no picnic. Uh, so, suppose we tried to solve this through the tax system. Suppose what we said was, we, we say hire, hire the illegal. Okay, hire all the illegals you want. Uh, but it's your responsibility, Mr. Employer, that if that's a, if that, if you're hiring an illegal alien, you must pay a penalty. I, I use, let me use $5 an hour as, as a, as a, you know, just a number, as an arbitrary number. Maybe it needs to be $10 an hour. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. And it probably should be variable to, to fit different circumstances. But a penalty, a tax penalty of some sort. Right. Uh, and we know from the Obamacare debacle, uh, that such payments are considered taxes. I mean, at least when 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 the government wants them to be considered taxes, they get considered taxes. Maybe it sounds like a penalty, but it's a tax. And you don't pay that tax, the IRS seizes your home, your your your, your vehicle, your bank account, whatever whatever they want, and possibly, in an egregious case, put you in jail. Right. Uh, now, there's no there's certainly no stomach, obviously, in this country. For putting the the migrant workers in jail, and I and I wouldn't ever I wouldn't want to do that either. I mean, these are not, you know, these are the these are people who are in many ways victims themselves. Uh, nevertheless, they're harming our country, and we can't have them. Mm-hmm. So if we if we put that penalty on that tax on, suddenly the low wages that they're being paid aren't so low anymore, and most employers would probably decide they could do better. Let's sake of argument, paying uh, $20 an hour to an American worker than $15 an hour to a uh, to a Mexican. Mm. Okay. And that's the that's the genesis of the idea. What would what I would hope would happen? I don't, I can't prove this would happen. Is that it would what it would mean is the jobs would dry up. Right. The the illegal immigrants would stay home. Many of them might even repatriate because they could no longer get the jobs. Right. Because they aren't going to be willing to pay that penalty. And I, I know the, the, the phrase self-deport kind of became a term of ridicule when I think it was Romney who said it. It's not a bad idea. Okay, the left has a way of trying to make fun of anyone who comes up with a, a good idea. True. And we've seen that many times. Uh and so that's a very simple idea. That's really the, the gist of the idea. If you read my, if you read my article, there were a couple of other points making sure that the e-verify system works so that you know who, you need a way to know who's legal and who's illegal. Right. And that has, has to be done. Um, yeah. But, and, and your ideas on the immigration reform, like I said, are, are novel ideas. Um, and I think that they would, they would work if, but you, you said a word in there. The will. The will. You know, yes. is there the will to do this? Yes. Well, I think there'd be the will if if there was enough will 
and Congress to pass a law, then there would be enough will in the IRS to enforce that tax. Right. And I think I'm sorry to interrupt again. What's the aversion to this? It seems to to me this seems so simple. Um, I, I personally, I believe we have the capability of deporting 20 million illegal aliens. I personally believe we have that capability. If we uh, seriously, what's the aversion to really enforcing this? I I, I I guess I don't know because if you when 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 you, when people talk about the the deportation process of actually doing it, it's made to sound impossible. I did a calculation back years ago, so I don't have the exact figures in front of me now. Uh, but if you if the government spent enough money, you know, well under a billion dollars to buy a couple thousand modern air conditioned buses, nice and comfortable, uh, and wanted to use them to to deport, say, each bus could handle say a hundred illegal aliens a week, something like that. Sure. Uh, Five thousand a year per bus, two thousand buses. There's a million. There you a go. million a year is a pretty good start. It's a pretty good tent. Yeah. And uh, you can probably do more than that. Maybe do a little less than that. Uh, but the, the beauty of, of any 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 kind of serious approach is that it encourages self-deportation because you know nobody wants to be forced to leave on someone else's schedule. Right. Leave on their own on their own terms on their own schedule. Uh, and maybe there's a maybe you need a combination approach. But I think I I I, I as a as a, a somewhat libertarian leaning conservative, not not, not a full blown libertarian perhaps. Uh, I prefer I prefer market based solutions where people voluntarily change their behavior. I don't I don't want to use force. I don't want I don't I don't want to put I don't want to hurt people by gunpoint into buses. I agree. That's not that's not a good thing to do. Uh, you know, you can talk about children, women, children. I, I, that, I, I would have no stock for that too. I wouldn't want to be a sheriff's deputy who's 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 forced to pull a gun on a you know on a, on, a, on an otherwise uh, law-abiding person. Yeah, it's a bad situation. I mean, and 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 you know, in a way, we're I think we're lucky as Americans to have had to deal with this problem. Uh, this is maybe a little bit of a change of pace. To deal with this problem with Mexican immigrants who are for the most part, I hope this doesn't sound racist. They're a fairly benign group. They're, they're. I've, I've known many Mexicans. They're all, they all seem to be lovely people, very nice people. Sure. I hate to have to send them home. I really do. I mean, I, I, it would be nice if we lived in a world where that wasn't, they weren't harming our country. But there's another group of people, of potential immigrants, who wish us great harm. I, th- I don't think I need to mention them by name. I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. And they, we, we. You know, by, by if we learn if we deal with this problem with 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 the Mexicans first, and we gain experience with it, maybe even our European friends would learn something from it. That would be that would be interesting, especially to see how the Europeans would apply our um, uh, what we do. Uh, in, in I have a feeling Europe though is a little bit different, given the yeah. demographics. Sure. You know. Now, now, we don't have a lot of time. We gotta have you back because I love your writing. I love your writing style. I love your ideas. 
we here at the Hagman Studio, we do read your your um, articles on the American Thinker. Uh, Mike, let me ask you, where else do you publish, if anywhere? Um, aside from I, uh, I published a few things early on, uh, more than uh, really about 10 years ago in uh, Red State. Okay. But I, 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 I had some... Uh, Disagreements with the editorial staff there. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so so uh, Tom Lipson is is the head of uh, the it's, yeah, and, and so, so your articles are at American Thinker. Yeah, and let me just say, Tom is a superb editor. Not a single, I don't think there's a single one of my articles that he didn't improve. Man, I got to tell you, that guy. I don't even think Tom Lipson sleeps. Um, I don't. I don't know how he has the time to. I agree with you. I don't know how he has the time to. Uh, to, to do this all, I've actually been a bit recalcitrant. He, he tried to, he's tried to tell me, well, there are other editors you can send this <laughs> your, your article. And I'm not the only one. <laughs> and I, and then, yeah, the next one, I promise you, I'll send the next one to one of the other editors, but it, I, I never do. No, he, he's a he's a great guy, as so, you are, in your articles. I, I, I hate to I hate to rush you, but I, I want to get into this topic as well. Healthcare. Um, yes. You write about healthcare and. Uh, you've, you've actually given some steps to handle healthcare. Uh, yes. man, you, you want to get into that in the, in the last, what, eight minutes we got here, seven minutes we uh, got? I think I can make a, a, a stab at it. Sure. I, I hope it won't, it won't be a complete discussion of healthcare, obviously. Sure. Sure. Uh, but the, one of the reasons, perhaps the main reason that healthcare has become so difficult to handle is because our great leaders seem to feel that they can Take a six-street economy and in a single bill reorganize all of it and come up with something better. That's the old, you know, I, I, I think you're old enough, maybe your son isn't, but you're old enough to remember the five-year plans in the Soviet Union, right? Oh, yes. And they used to, man, they, they were way superior to us because they weren't going to let the economy just do what it wanted to do. They'd have a five-year plan. None of the five-year plans were ever met. They were all they were all hopelessly uh, out of date by the second year. Yep. Um, but they thought they knew. They thought they understood economics, and they didn't. No. And I don't pretend to understand it either. I don't. I the last thing I would want is the job of managing any significant sector of the U.S. economy. Hey, I manage one small business. That's fine. I could I could, I could do that. But not the whole not the whole economy. Not the whole medical economy. Sure. All right. So so. So our, our, our esteemed uh, congressman uh, try to pass a single law that covers everything you have to. Well, why not try? Why not just break it up into three, four, five pieces? For example, the 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 the, the real problem. If you if you look closely, what's the real? There's one real problem with with the current attempt to repeal and replace. Uh, you, you, you can make us a guess. Problem, a procedural problem, which is the stupid reconciliation and stuff. I, I, I can't even begin to discuss that in a short period of time. Right. But suffice it to say, they should get rid of that. But beyond that, by having Medicaid in the same bill as one designed to to regulate national insurance is insanity. Okay. We need a certain level of Medicaid. Okay. You, you don't want as as President Trump said during the campaign. He's not going to watch people die in the streets. Okay. Right. 
that's ridiculous. Nobody dies in the streets. Even if the, the poorest person can go into an emergency room or into, or check into a hospital or go to a doctor's office and not be turned away. Yep. They may end up owing money that they can't afford to pay at the end of the day. But no, the, the idea that, that, that we dying in the streets is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And we already have laws on the books to prevent that from occurring. All right. Medicaid is, is, is rapidly becoming the monster. I don't know if you remember the old show, Dobie Gillis, the monster that devoured Cleveland. <laughs> okay. Well, this is going to devour, devour America. Yep. We already have the, the great entitlements, uh, Medicare, Social Security, Veterans Affairs, okay, yep. which, are, which I call earned entitlements. The reason people get that money is because they earned it. Yep. Veterans, above all, uh, earned it with, with blood, and Medicare and Social Security recipients earned it with their paychecks. Uh, Medicaid is an un, un, unearned entitlement. Okay. Obviously, there's an unlimited demand for it. If, if you can, you know, it's now up to what 75 million people, a quarter of the country. It's insane. It is. Um, and uh, I, I think that that has to be. But you can't trying to deal with it in the same bill where you cut the regulations, which, by the way, we hear nothing about. It's the. It's like the. It's 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 the. If you call it, it's the invisible elephant in the room. Uh, the most important thing to do about Obamacare is to get rid of the 100-odd agencies, 150 agencies, uh, bureaucracies that it created. We don't even know about them. I, don't, I, I, I try to look it up. It's very hard to find out who, who's there and what they do and what their, what their legal responsibility is. The biggest one, the one that we must get rid of, is the IPAB, the IPAB, which That's we only call death panel. Right. It's the one that decides, you know, what gets cut, you know, what gets covered? So, okay. So yeah, everyone's required to have insurance. If you're a, if you're a, a, a 70 year old male, you have to pay for your pregnancy care. Um, but you'll be denied. But you'll be denied a, a hip replacement because you're too old. That doesn't pay. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Mike. We only have got about two minutes left, man. Yes. I I can't. I just can't believe how fast this time's gone. Like, it, my, my only my question, and, and please, we we, we want to have you back. Uh, for a longer period. My question is, can't, can't it just re- be repealed and the government get the hell out of healthcare? It, it, well, it, it, uh, the simple answer, it could be if 50 senators agree to it. If, if they, if they have the, the will, like there's that word again, the will, the desire to do it. I don't know why they don't, I don't know why they, you know, if, if they've made a political calculation, you know, Dean Heller in Nevada made a political calculation that if he votes, for clean repeal, he won't get reelected. Well, what, what, what's more important to him? Getting reelected or doing the best for America? Well, isn't that a, isn't that a silly question? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, sadly. And I don't know, I don't know, if, I don't even know if that's true. That, that's, but it's a political calculation he made. I, I'll assume he's a, he's a better political calculator than I am. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I view those as hard, but I'll tell you, I, uh, if if we if we let this opportunity slip by, uh, I don't know that we'll ever get another chance to reorganize the, the medical industry. And oh man! Once we we're just the budget. I I that's another topic that I uh, I don't actually have an article on that because I've yet to be able to put together one. 
simple enough for, for <laughs> Thomas to be willing to publish. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I do have a lot to say about the budget process, and, and, and it, it's designed it's designed to fail. It's designed to bankrupt the country. The whole well, process. Let's let's have you back. Let's talk about the budget process that is designed to fail because I think it's so important. We'll talk it more is. about the health care and tax reform and, and the immigration problem. I just we just want to introduce you to our audience. Of course, American thinker, writer, uh, Mike uh, Ruzar. Sorry, Ruzar. Ruzar. By the way, Excuse it's a palindrome. Same backwards and forwards. I'm sorry. It's my name, last name is a palindrome. It's spelled the same backwards and forwards. That's it is. Now that I see that. <laughs> You're special. <laughs> I, was the only, I, was, I was the only kindergarten kid who knew what that word meant. <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Mike Razar, American thinker, author, just a brilliant man, and I, I love his articles. Thank you so much for your time, and we, we welcome you back And uh, for a longer period. Uh, I'm glad Ryan's got got to meet you, and certainly we're going to be reading more of your I'll articles. Talk to John about when I can come on again. And uh, All right. Be, okay. All right. Very Thanks. nice to meet you. Very nice to meet your audience. Thank you for having me. I, All right. I appreciate it. Until until Tom lifts and we said hello, folks. We're gonna be right, gonna be right back after this network break. Don't go anywhere. Thank G-Nag you. Thank power you. cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right. You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water. But a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport because it's so efficient it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth of what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire so don't rely on gas or fuel stoves prepare your family prepare for yourself order a minuteman rocket stove today it's going to make bad times much better folks minutemanstove.com minutemanstove.com need i say more you should have a minute man, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Uh, so glad you're joining us. So glad that, uh, well, thank you for your belief and your trust in us. Folks, uh, please go to my Twitter feed at HagmanPI or go to HomelandSecurityUS.com. I'm asking you a favor. If you didn't catch the beginning of the program, I'm asking you a favor. There, there's an article there. I'd like you to spread that around. There are two photographs, two images at the bottom of that I give you the context for, for the images. Bottom, there's two images. Take a look at those images. I'm asking for anyone with information about those images to send that information to the studio at Hagman and Hagman PI, you'll, you'll, or Hagman and Hagman.com. Uh, you'll see the information in that. You can either go to my Twitter, personal Twitter feed, or uh, uh, com. but please spread that around. We're asking for your help. It's self-explanatory, but just I want to warn you: the uh, the images are a little bit difficult to uh, to look at. All right. So, um, also, folks, WorldNet Daily Superstore promo code Hagman all products WorldNet Super WorldNet Daily WND. <laughs> I, I'll get it right. WND Superstore promo code Hagman Muslim Mafia from last week. Uh, Philip Haney's book. I mean, all sorts of books. Go to WND Superstore. Use pro- promo code Hagman for your purchases. Thank you. Joe, I'm going to toss it to you. Back with us is a, a return guest who's been on uh, a number of times in the past, Mr. Gary Hunt. Uh, folks, if you remember, he was arrested back in April for uh, what they said was disclo- uh, divulging informants' names, even though this was already out in open court. It's a very interesting case, and there are some updates that uh, Mr. Hunt is here to talk with us about tonight. Gary, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for inviting me back. Absolutely. Your story is definitely uh, a very interesting one, a troubling one. And, folks, Gary's website, outpost-of-freedom.com, Outpost of Freedom, uh, with a hyphen between the words, .com is, is the website. And you can check out the latest story up there, Liberty or Laws, Justice or Despotism, and uh, bookmark his site. Gary, what's what's new with you? Well, uh, still uh, the, the government's responded, as, as far as my case, the government has responded uh, uh, timely, and uh, we're due by Friday, and I spoke with my attorneys today, and both of them pro bono, Paul uh, Boylan in California and Michael Rose in Portland. And uh, the government's case is weaker now than it was before. Uh, it all depends on the judge. We're talking about contempt of court, not a criminal charge. So the degree of discretion of uh, Judge Anna Brown is uh, unlimited. And so it's a matter of giving her enough information to realize that she... only way out of the corner is the path that we 
don't paint. And uh, that's the approach we're taking on it. Uh, government will have two weeks to respond after we file on Friday, and then on August 23rd will be the next hearing. Now, uh, so that's, that's where we are. You know, we're in legal level waiting for things to happen with the case. Okay. And um, you said you, you spoke with your, your lawyers. What, what you said, and also that um, there's wide latitude of, of what, what could happen. Did they tell you what to expect or to expect certain things? Uh, worst case oh. scenario, best case scenario? Uh, uh, putting it simply, when the, the government filed their uh, memorandum, they offered that uh, they would drop everything if I would take the appending material off my webpage. And my response was, there's a principle involved here. Uh, so they're backing down. I think they realize how weak the case is. And in their memorandum didn't have anything uh, with substance in it. And it seems the case law seems to be on our side. Uh, interestingly, though, the, the whole idea of case law, um, in Federalist Papers, I think it was uh, uh, Madison, wrote that laws are rules of action. And I relied heavily on New York Times versus uh, United States versus New York Times, which is the Pentagon Papers, uh, as an authority for press to publish something that, in that case, it was criminal for somebody to release the information, not just contempt of court, but you know, statutorily criminal, uh, and they could publish it, and there was no recourse against the New York Times that the government had. In fact, the government was chastised for the prior restraint that they imposed on the New York Times. Uh, so, to me, that's the law, and if a law is a rule of action, as Madison said, we should know what the law is. And so the article that you mentioned, the most recent one, Liberty or Laws, Justice or Despotism, uh, has to do with that. You know, in going through the case law that's been bouncing back and forth in the uh, paper chase on my, my case, for example, uh, it's not clear what the law is because it seems that New York Times, 1972, I believe it was, uh, there have been other subsequent decisions that kind of move things around back and forth, shuffle them, and even con confuse and confound them. And uh, so the article was written with that in mind, uh, that what is the law and what rules are we bound by, or are we just at the mercy of the government when they want to mess with us? You said uh, something interesting, that case law is on your side. And usually, as you just pointed out, that is enough for a judge to to rule in favor of the case law. Uh, more often than not, they, they do that. And I guess it depends on the case. I shouldn't say more often than not. It's well, the, the, the difference here, though, is if it was a criminal matter, and, you know, if we look at what happened in Oregon, what's happening in Nevada now, those are appealable issues. But to appeal from contempt of court charges is a lot more difficult. Basically, I'm at the mercy of Judge Anna Brown. And I believe that uh, she's begun to understand that uh, the uh, the government, the prosecutors, the U.S. Attorney's Office led her down a rosy path uh, with regard to uh, her uh, jurisdiction over me as they presented it, uh, because at first it resulted in a separate, separate supplemental order uh, because the first one didn't include me. So that left one article that was nearly complete when the second uh, the supplemental protective order came out. 
where she broad brushed it that anybody in the world that passed on my articles would be subject to the second order. But probably the worst thing when I was arrested was the fact that the statute they used to arrest me was based upon the statute begins, I don't have the statute number, 18 U.S. Code something, but it begins, anybody who has been released by this court and fails to appear. Well, I've never been released by the court because the jurisdictional issue still hasn't been completed. The last hearing, she did a favor, really. There's two issues. There's whether the court has jurisdiction over me being a reporter in California and whether freedom of the press has the right to publish this information. And we were kind of concerned, Mike Rose and I were kind of concerned that if they ruled on jurisdiction favorably, then freedom of the press would never get heard. On the other hand, if I lost the jurisdiction, then we would hear freedom of the press issue. It would have to be heard. But what she did is she put the two together. As Michael Rose said in the hearing, it's like a snake eating its own tail. These are co-joined. And so she dismissed our motion to dismiss the contempt charges, but put a burden on the government to come back with good case law to support their position. But this hearing for August 23rd is joining the two, both jurisdiction and freedom of the press. So we're going to get answers on both. And I was kind of pleased when I walked out of court back on whatever. But she's given the government another bite of the apple, so to speak. They have not. They put together an indictment that sending people to prison in less than a month, January of 2016. They've been trying to put a case against me for five, six, seven months now, since January of 2017. And they still don't have a cohesive case. And so she said, you better put together a case to justify what you're trying to do and present it to this court, which is what their memorandum was. But it doesn't meet the criteria that she laid out for them. So they can put a case that sends people to prison in a month. They can't put mine together. They're desperate. They're grasping at straws, really, I believe, in the case law that they're pulling up. I don't know. I feel sorry for the U.S. attorney. They're fumbling. Yeah, I remember last time you came on was after you were released and you told the story of your arrest and you went through the issue of jurisdiction. But as you said, and I do point out, the issue of the freedom of the press is much more interesting and I would say important when we're looking at the grand scheme of things. Now, if she will just say that if it gets to a point where you say you're found in contempt or ruled against in the issue of the freedom of the press, does that set up additional case history against freedom of the press? What would that do to how the press operates? It won't be precedence, but she hasn't ruled on anything yet. She's refused to rule at this point except to dismiss our motion to dismiss the case. But remember, we're dealing with contempt of court, so this, unless I took it to appeal if I lost, but it will become a model. It can be cited by others that run into similar circumstances to mine, supporting the right in the case law that we're supporting my position with will be available. It's a record, but it's not stare decisis. 
but it, it, it is significant in this day and age. Uh, I think I, I mentioned last time I was on that when they called me a blogger, I began yeah, calling them the U.S. shysters. You know, if they wanted to, to uh, denigrate me by calling me a blogger, I think I can do the same to them. Uh, because I've been a journalist. I consider myself a journalist and have been for 24 years. Uh, I just use a, a blog format to present my articles at this point. So uh, it is interesting. Paul Boylan, uh, my attorney in California, uh, is very much involved in California and freedom of the press. And he came on pro bono because he sees the significance of establishing not precedents, but at least a model to, to go back at the government if they try and do this to somebody else who manages to get information they're not supposed to have. Was that is that true with with your case? Was that information you weren't supposed to have? Well, the uh, protective order disallowed uh, uh, dissemination of discovery. Uh, the discovery that I received was some ten twenty three forms. These are uh, CHS reporting forms. Uh, CHS being confidential human uh, source, uh, i.e., inform, uh, informants. Uh, and informants are people that are paid by the government uh, to obtain information, to instigate things. It, uh, there are all different purposes for them. But there were 15 informants, nine of which had gone to the, the refuge and six who had never gone there but were reporting information they obtained from phone calls or communications with people at the refuge. Um the government had redacted that already to remove anything that would identify the informants. So they took the right of the defendants to know who the witnesses against them were and redacted it out of those. But when I got those, by going through them, for example, uh, one of the easier ones was uh, one of the informants talked about a meeting where uh, John Ressheimer and Ryan Payne uh, were present. And so I called John, and I called, talked to Ryan was in jail. John was out, but I did talk to Ryan, and they both uh, confirmed that Alan Barner was the one at that meeting. So Alan Barner uh, was the informant, but it was deductive reasoning, taking what information I had, who would be in these situations, calling people that might know who would be in that circumstance, uh, putting the pieces together, and, and ultimately, wherever possible, calling the informant and laying it on the phone, to him to see what his reaction was. And, and uh, the government keeps saying, well, maybe he got some right, maybe he didn't. But I think that uh, the 11 that I put out were all confirmed. I mean, they're definitely informants. Uh, but that information was not supposed to be disseminated. Now, I could then write an article and say, Alan Varner's an informant. I know that because of what he did at the refuge. But how can I back that up without putting some of the information that's in the 1023 forms in my article, which is what I did. Uh, and that's where they say I crossed the line by putting some of that information out. But the Pentagon Papers, they took block quotes out of the Pentagon Papers and put them in the New York Times article. So they did the same thing I did, or I did the same thing that they did. Exactly. Folks, and so yeah, this... I felt the law was on my side. Exactly. This is a fascinating story. Our guest is Gary Hunt. I'll post at freedom.com. 
stemming back to the the Bundy Ranch and, and standoff uh, in Oregon, that uh, this case this is where it originates from. That is still uh, there's still a number of things happening with it with different people, and we don't hear a lot about it in the news anymore. But folks, you remember the Bundy Wildlife Refuge where the Bureau of Land Management uh, stood off with with ranchers after they tried to impose grazing fees on the Bundys. Then the the was it the Mar Wildlife Refuge was was taken over in Oregon, and uh, then there was the the shooting and a number of things things happened. It was a, a very uh, interesting and, and crazy situation. And then what Mr. Hunt did was report on the information that he obtained from the court, which uh, not he, from the not from the court. Source. From what? From an unknown source. Unknown source. Okay, thank you for that clarification. And published it in his on his on his website on his blog. Uh, exposing some of these informants, then was arrested for doing so, and he went to jail and was uh, let out, but is still in an ongoing legal battle. And well, Gary, what what are you doing Friday? Uh, you said you're doing court Friday, and then August twenty third. No, Friday we have to file our response to the government's memorandum. This second round of uh, paper chase. They okay. Out their memorandum, our response, and they'll have two weeks to respond to our response to their memorandum. And then the hearing is scheduled for August 23rd. But they only have two weeks after Friday uh, to pay, play paper chase and, and try and rebut what we're presenting to them. Yeah, this is a very interesting uh, case, and it's going to be very interesting to see the uh, the rulings when they when they do come down. Um, what is, what's your family? And I know you're, you're a family man, and, and they were there when... You were arrested initially. What are what are their thoughts and impressions about? Uh, are they optimistic that you know it's going to be all right? Are they concerned that you might have to go away for a little bit longer? Well, my wife never wanted to know what I was doing, and I had to tell her the day I was arrested. And once the heat of that uh, uh, cooled off, then we're back to the original situation. She doesn't want to know what I want to do and uh, what I'm doing in my office. And so I don't talk to her about it. She does know the hearing is coming up, but the it's minimal information. Women are emotional. And she got more upset about my being arrested than I did. Because, you know, the man of the house is gone and she had no idea. I was told by the U.S. Marshal I would be home for dinner. It was seven days later. And even to the point, I think, in the last show we talked about it, uh, that Anna Brown was upset that I was not in Portland on, I was arrested on Friday and I was not in Portland on Monday so on Tuesday she started working to find out why I wasn't up there to the point that on Thursday a week after I was arrested on Thursday that's right on Thursday there was a Friday on Thursday no it was Friday I was arrested on Thursday we had a telephonic hearing and she expressed in that that she that I should have been delivered to Portland. I shouldn't be held down here, but down here in Sacramento, they had told the Portland court that I would be there on the 25th of April. Now, that's the amount of time it, t- it took John Rissheimer to be diesel from Phoenix, Arizona to Portland. So they were going to diesel therapy me, you know, just pass me to Oklahoma, to Brump, and then and, and mess with you all the way up, and then finally to Portland. And so she cut that short, and I think that's when she began to realize that she's been led down a rosy path by the government, but the rosy path might have thorns in it. And she's been, I would say, very uh, 
respectful and is, is honestly considering uh, whether I've done anything wrong or not. She's not just vindictive at this point. She is honestly looking into it and she's looking, I believe she's looking for justice in the matter. Yeah, and that's, um, you never know with, with judges. Obviously you've talked to this judge and you can get a sense of, you know, their body language and their, their attitude. Sometimes they're, I mean, well, I've seen some, some things with judges in the past where you just don't know, but that's but, good that. But, 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 st- but you know what, stepping back from this, your case, once, once the dust settles and once this is decided, your case is going to end up being right up there with the Pentagon Papers in terms of precedent. Do you agree with that? I, I mean, well, if it doesn't go to the appellate court, it's not precedent. Remember, the, appellate, uh, the Pentagon Papers went to the appellate court in New York and Washington and finally went to the Supreme Court. But it's only precedence. It's only published pet precedence if it's gone at least through the appellate court. So uh, it will be a model, though, that people can look at the case law that went in it. So it becomes a model but not a precedence. Okay. Yeah, and forgive my terminology. I, I agree with that with that uh, correction in terminology, uh, a model as opposed to a precedent, indeed. But significant nonetheless. Oh, I, I do believe in Paul Boylan, uh, who is, uh, you know, he spends all his time on freedom of the press issues, think this is one of the most significant issues that uh, he's had an opportunity to work with. And so my attorneys are working real well together. Uh, yeah. They're in Portland, and they're doing a great job in putting together a good case. Did, did you... Now, did, I'm sorry, did, did you, uh, just real quick. Did you think that you would be in this position... Uh, I'm just curious, you know, in, in this, in this position with case law, potential case law, um, I mean, man, this is like, you know, all, eyes are, eyes are on you. Did you think you'd be here? Well, I, as I said, I, I felt the law was behind me. I read the Pentagon, uh, the, uh, United States versus New York Times, which included the Washington Post as well. Right. Uh, the Pentagon paper issue. I read that and, you know, the founding, uh, like Madison said, laws are rule of action. Now the statutes haven't changed. True. So I should be able to publish this information. Absolutely. And as the judge said, she's not even asking me to divulge my source. She's leaving that to the FBI. And as far as I know, it, it was an FBI, this journal FBI agent, a whistleblower that sent me the information. I have no idea where the information came from, but uh, the point is, I felt that I was totally within the law, and I was not within the jurisdiction of the court on the first protective order, and there's no doubt that I was correct about that, because they wouldn't have come up with a supplemental protective order uh, if I was uh, subject to the first protective order, and the second protective order was so broad that I felt it was out of the purview of the judge to even write it. So I felt all along that they were wrong. Now that doesn't mean, and I do know that, you know, a judge in contempt of court, uh, doesn't like to be, have people adversarial to her position. Let me put it that way. Uh, and so, uh, they, they take it as flaunting something, I think. And I'm, I didn't intend to flaunt, uh, Judge Anna Brown, but I felt that I was totally within the law in what I did. So it's, did I expect this would happen? Yeah, every once in a while when I rethought something, especially after I got 
arrested, I realized that this is uh, uh, bigger than I expected it to be, I guess is the best way to put it. But, you know, I can't back down. I mean, I think I still believe the law says I was okay, and I think that the principle uh, of the right of the press to publish that information if they obtain it without committing a crime themselves yes. uh, is even more important. Uh, yeah, agree. we both agree yeah. on that. Yep. And hopefully the the ruling is is in your favor. But as you said, if it goes to an appeals court, then it would be, be able to set precedents. But if not, either way, it can be a model. Uh, you know, this is something that journalists always looking for a, a headline or a scoop don't really. I don't know if it enters their mind the the potential for uh, getting into trouble. And you know, I, I just think it's interesting that people uh, who are journalists and, and who want to be journalists to take into consideration, you know, you, you're doing your work, you're working hard, doing the right thing, and, and you find yourself entangled in, in legal battles that you never intended to be in, whether criminal or civil. These are uh, areas of, of concern for journalists, because you can easily fall into slander, defamation, or uh, get into criminal trouble. And people don't often think about the, you know, the the possibilities for either the civil or criminal liabilities that, that they may encounter. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, only about a minute left, uh, Mr. Hunt, and I know that we got you scheduled to come back. Um, I'm not sure when the next time is, but it, it's uh, centered around that, that next hearing in August that you mentioned. Uh, just real quick, in the last minute, kind of a question out of left field. What's your take on the, the attitude of the country versus the mainstream media in this country? <laughs> well, uh, I would say that the people that think with their brain, realize there's something seriously wrong. And I think that the people that don't know how to think, think that everything's just fine. I don't know how else to define it. No, that's a, a great way to put it. And I guess, uh, as you said, it's a matter of uh, I like perspective, um, yeah. depending on what people are, what they know and what their you know level of awareness is. That's a, definitely very right Superb on the money. Superb analysis. Actually, a, a level of curiosity. Do they really give a damn? No, they're just going to believe whatever is put before them. Uh, where other people that, you know, the people that build futures for themselves have to look ahead. And yeah. they're the ones then that look and recognize things. But when you're flipping burgers, who cares what tomorrow is? I'll be back here flipping burgers. And so it's the burger flippers and, uh, other people that have been indoctrinated by the educational system. I mean, it's, it's teaching socialism. It's denying history. Uh, it's denying any sense of allegiance to the country that protects us. It's reciprocity of so allegiance to the country and the country that protects us. But they don't recognize these things. They just, to them, it's a cartoon going on exactly how they want it to go. It is, right. folks. Our guest, Mr. Gary Hunt. Outpostoffreedom.com, outpost-of-freedom.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Hunt. Look forward to having you on next time, and hope that the judge rules in your favor. Hey, thanks for the invitation, and I'm looking forward to the next conversation. God, God bless you. God keep you safe. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. 
folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com. Masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric's a, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow. It's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Caring Personalist. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changecoastwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Let's move and nothing coming out, right? That's because I muted myself. Thanks for joining us, uh, folks, on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, really, thank you so much for your belief and trust in us. You know, we're doing our best. We're expanding, folks. We're expanding. Uh, next week, we are going to expand with two new programs. More on that as the week progresses. But I'm going to have an hour in the morning. Joe and John are going to have an hour in the afternoon. And of course, our regular program at night. So we are, uh, we are using your, uh, your financial assistance to, to get, to, to expand, to get more of the word out. Your, uh, your prayers, your, uh, your word of mouth support. We thank you for everything that, that you're doing and especially for helping us out financially. Uh, let me tell you something, uh, folks. We are strapped real thin financially. This is a listener, primarily a listener supported show. And, uh, we've got, 
investigators. You know, we are working in the field, as you can see by the article at HomelandSecurityUS.com. If you're just joining us now, um, there are things that we do, and investigators, that, that uh, there are things that we do. So thank you for helping us. Go to HomelandSecurityUS.com as well. Check out that article. Please spread it around on social networking. It got taken down off social networking before uh, Russ Dizdar's team had put it up. Uh, it was taken down. The uh, It's on my personal Twitter feed, Hagman P.I. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N-P-I, at Hagman P.I. Uh, retweet it. We're interested in finding out anything you can, anything we can about the um, about the images. If you have personal knowledge of it, please let us know. We do have some information on it we're holding back, and of course that that's and verifies the information that we get from tipsters. And uh, um, but tra- child trafficking is real, and you know it's interesting how many uh, uh, got an email uh, after I said that the first time from a uh, self from a Christian who said basically we've got no business, uh, you know, putting pictures like that up. Okay, all right, that's you know seriously. Um, is this where, and I know that person does not speak for the majority of conservatives or Christians or Christian conservatives. However, uh, you know, this is an active investigation. We are attempting to find information about that. And by the way, if you don't want to, if you want to send us an email, you can always email rustdizdar at uh, shatterthedarkness.net. So, uh, but we're asking for the public's help in this. And there's reasons we're doing it. We normally don't do do it this way, but there are reasons, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Folks, you know, one of the most overlooked preparations are water and energy. With the real threat of cybersecurity or cyber attacks and EMP weapons, you got to consider the soul arc, all right? It's the only EMP. It's the only EMP-hardened battery-based solar system available to the public today. The folks at Portable Solar, They've designed this product with EMP hardening and expandability in mind. This is a veteran-owned, Christian-owned company. They stand by their product. You can watch their EMP testing videos on their YouTube channel or by going to their website, and that's soulark.us. That's S-O-L-A-R-K dot U-S. Look, no EMP bag, uh, protective bags or Faraday cages are needed. Use the system every day to reduce your electric bills while your solar panels and appliances stay protected. Tried and true, these work. And, you know, most people don't realize how much, like, fridges and freezers and AC and lights and computers and such, how much power they need to run. Portable solar engineers help you decide what type of backup power you should consider and how to pick a good system. Folks, go to soularc.us. That's soularc.us, or give them a call at 972-575-8875, or just go to soularc.us, but make sure you tell them the Hagman Report sent you, please. Also, don't forget WND Superstore. If you haven't gotten a copy of Chris Gabatz's or uh, Paul Sperry, Dave Gabatz's and Paul Sperry's book, Muslim Mafia, if you, if you look, this book is a number of years old, uh, but it's on, uh, I, I can ask Eric, uh, during some travels yesterday, I was reading it, rereading it. It's the information in there about, uh, about the Muslim Brotherhood is so prescient today. It's, it's just incredible. Uh, and, and anything. At, uh, WND Superstore, WND Superstore, but use the promo code Hagman. You gotta do that. WND Superstore, promo code Hagman. You got that? 
WND Superstore. Promo code Hagman. Good. All right. Now, a couple of things here before we get moving uh, forward. I, I just, I, I really want to make sure that what is understood here. I've got all these papers uh, uh, together. You know, all you hear is Russian collusion, Russian collusion. Folks, I am concerned, and I know you are too. I do believe that the deep state is going to take, or is attempting to take, obviously, no big news there, attempting to take down President Donald J. Trump. They are getting to him through his son, his associates, and all of these, uh, all of the people in his close orbit, that's what they're going after, ultimately going to go after Donald Trump and take down the presidency. This is going to cause chaos in the United States. They're going to elevate uh, uh, Michael uh, Pence, which is their objective, of course, but to delegitimize the conservative party. And this is the way they're doing it. And, and all the eyeballs, you got the, uh, you got the eyeballs of MSNBC, you know, the, uh, uh, Rachel Maddow's and the, and the Brian Williams and all these people looking at and trying to make this big deal, this illusion of collusion. And you may be being tired of hearing about this. This may be tiring to you. Uh, however, I, I, it, please, folks, do not underestimate what is taking place here. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, uh, our first guest on, uh, uh, from American Thinker, another uh, article from American Thinker, John Sobieski, I follow his work too. Investigate Hillary's uranium win collusion with Russia. We had talked about this. Dave Hodges talked about this a long time ago. And as I, and I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, Hillary's foundation hid a $2.35 million foreign donation from the head of Russia's government uranium company that had the uh, business before Hillary's Clinton State Department. This is a clear violation of memorandum of understanding. If nothing else, this could be a clear violation of uh, just the well, the Ethics Act and some other uh, uh, some other policies and procedures. The New York Times confirmed Hillary Clinton violated the memorandum of understanding, which which they all signed uh, with the Obama administration, uh, Obama regime, promising to disclose all foreign donations during her tenure as Secretary of State. You want to talk about foreign money coming in? You want to talk about the Russian money coming in? The Russian money that came in to, to Bill and Hillary, their, their, uh, the Clinton Foundation, is incredible. Clinton Cash, great book. It revealed that uh, the foreign head of the Russian-owned uranium company, Uranium One, which Hillary Clinton approved as Secretary of State, uh, approved to require uh, 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 U.S. Uh, <laughs> approved to acquire U.S. uranium, she had to sign off on it, on her own deal. It makes no sense. Uh, the yeah, you know netting a hundred and forty plus well, two, million into her foundation. No, two point three five million. None of which appeared in the Clinton Foundation disclosures. So anyway, and and then of course I right before I got uh, uh, cut off, Bill Clinton. You know he bagged a half a cool half a million dollars for a speech in Moscow, paid for by a Kremlin linked bank. And again, as Clinton Cash claimed, Bill Clinton made a half a million dollars for a, Mo- a Moscow speech that was paid for by a Russian investment bank that had ties to the Kremlin at the time of the uranium deal. Now, it doesn't take any kind of, I mean, it, it, there's, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to, to, to see the uh, quid pro quo, to see this, this 
incestuous relationship. So you want to investigate Russian ties. Start here. And this is what uh, Daniel John Sobieski from the American Thinker was talking about. Investigate Hillary's uranium one collusion with Russia. Yeah, John, Daniel John Sobieski, you've got this right. Tom Lifson, thank you so much for publishing this. And, and folks, this is the story. But then, as we mentioned earlier, Judicial Watch, which sued uh, the State Department to get emails, got 448 emails, okay, two PDF files. It's on Judicial Watch's site. Uh, the page 73 of the second PDF verifies you've got a foreign national, Huma Abedin's mother, the four, a foreign national, giving Huma Abedin uh, in, uh, guidance of, of who to appoint as envoy to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the 57th state that, oops, I made a mistake, 57 states, I visited all 57 states. It's that organization. Huma Abedin's mother is telling Huma Abedin to uh, push for the appointment as envoy to the OIC. That is, and by the way, Huma Abedin's mother, Muslim Brotherhood all day long, as is Huma Abedin, as is the influence into the State Department, as is the influence into the Obama um, regime. We have suffered eight years of domestic infiltration by the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the most... And, and folks, last week, ten Chris Kabatz got it. Ten years. It, was under, it started under Bush. It started under Bush. Uh, you, we had... Uh, you go back. Go to our YouTube channel, please, folks. And please, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Would you do that for us, please? Okay. And here's what's happening. We're watching this in real time. People are, are being unsubscribed by our channel. People are not getting notifications of, of our, uh, look, some of it, I guarantee, look, some of it just happens. Stuff happens. But there is a deliberate measure to keep us down in numbers, in our social networking numbers, in our talk numbers, and in our YouTube, excuse me, in our YouTube numbers. <laughs> what was that about? Um, a hiccup. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, I never hiccup. What was that about? Anyway, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our social networking feeds. And, uh, make sure you pass, please pass the information along. But, you know, uh, on this line of Bill Clinton, I, I've got Clinton. some, and Podesta is involved in this too, up to his eyeballs. I just wanted to, to say this real quick. To, uh, Susan Rice was scheduled to testify yes, tomorrow. she was. She, that was postponed. I know. So she's not going to be testifying in front of the House committee. She's got yoga classes. <laughs> I don't know why it was postponed. I'm not sure if the reason was given. Uh, but she was supposed to testify behind closed doors, of course. And that is going to have to wait till a little bit later. Um, and what we're seeing, some media figures believe that all this, you know, hyperventilating and sensationalizing the Russia is now turning against the Democrats where they are being uh, pointed out as being hypocrites and, and uh, much more in bed with, with these Russian officials and other government of officials to not only work against the U.S., but to work against Trump in the election, um, which that's coming out to uh, more out in the open. These 
you know, uranium one type deals, the right. speeches, all yep. this other information yep. is coming back into the forefront, which it's argued that it wouldn't have come back if they would have just left the election alone, but obviously they could well, not do that. Y- yes, yes. And, and, but, but there's so, there, the, the, and folks, uh, we have whiteboards in, in our office. And we're, I, I probably should, we probably should take pictures, uh, and, and dots and, uh, connecting dots on the whiteboards and index cards and, it's crazy, but but when you look at what's what took place with respect to uh, just Hillary Clinton by herself, and as uh, David or Daniel John Sobieski reported um, in in the American Thinker article, and as uh, uh, the uh, author of Clinton Cash had had reported earlier, and as we have reported, the Podesta angle into to the Hillary Clinton Foundation and the Russia collusion. The Podesta angle must be investigated. Let me tell you something. Media Matters for America, David Brock, correct the record. All of these, all of these, uh, 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 smokescreen entities. You know, it's amazing to me how, uh, like, in, uh, Right Wing Watch and, and some of these websites, it's amazing to me how they can get away with the, the absolute baloney that, uh, I, in my view anyway, that is published. But the Podesta angle in this case must be investigated because Hillary Clinton's campaign, uh, chair, chairperson, chairman, Podesta, acting as the Podesta group, acting as the Podesta group lobbied on behalf of Uranium One after, after most of it was already then owned by Russia to facilitate Russia's takeover of U.S. uranium deposits. Now, let me ask you a question. Given that, just humor me for a minute. Stipulate that that's the truth. If you, you could be the biggest flaming liberal in the world. Doesn't that give you cause to pause? That alone? You know, after she lost the googly eyes Hillary Clinton Horsewhipped her campaign chair, Podesta, into action. He came out charging out of the gate like grease lightning, galloping at breakneck speed, uh, speed sweating it out. And of course, he was desperate to make Hillary look like the, uh, like a victim. And, uh, you know, he did. He wrote an op-ed piece for the Washington Post, right post-election, uh, where he stated that the more that everyone learns about the Russian plot to sabotage Hillary Clinton's campaign, and the failure of the of the FBI to adequately respond, the more shocking it gets. Oh yes! In fact, the former acting director of the CIA called uh, the Russian cyber attack uh, the political equivalent of 9/11. Yeah, bullpucky. Okay. And also, by the way, WikiLeaks tax reform reveals Hillary Clinton temp- campaign chair John Podesta continued ties to Russian energy company after claiming he divested. Gee, he lied? Huh. Slap, well, just slap me, you know, what's that saying? Slap me silly and call me Judy. All right. <laughs> Got Eric cracking up over there. Uh, you know, his, uh, there was a leak on uh, January 3rd, 2014. The leak document showed that Podesta transferred more than, uh, 25,000 of 75,000 shares of Jewel Technologies, a Russian-connected firm to Leonidio Holdings LLC, which is listed with an address at his daughter's 
Uh, Megan Rouse is a Shannon Court home in Dublin, California. Rouse operates Megan Rouse Financial uh, Planning from that same address. It just doesn't get any more twisted than this, folks. It really doesn't. Um, the Center for American Progress, by the way, uh, interesting, was started in 2003 by John Podesta, Bill Clinton's a one-time chief of staff. Podesta led Obama's presidential transition team after an 08, uh, after 08 was Hillary's 2016 campaign chair. The reason I brought that up, of course, is the connection to the Center for American Progress, the connection to the Hillary Clinton Foundation, uh, the campaign, and John, of course, John Podesta, uh, that being his group, and, uh, Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin. Be sure to check out, I, I will have an article coming out about the 448 new emails and about the Muslim Brotherhood infusion into the Clinton, or into the, uh, Obama, uh, Obama White House. This is, this is important stuff. And, and you know, the FEC's back, backing off, by the way, Joe, of the, remember how last week we reported about the FEC, yeah, right? How they were coming after, right. uh, now they're backing up alt-right sites for possible Russia collusion. Well, yeah, you mentioned Drudge, they mentioned, uh, yeah. Alex Jones and Breitbart. And of course, we, and trust me, we were in that mix as well. And there were some celebratory comments among, uh, even among some of the, some of the conservative, among some of the conservative groups. But the fact of the matter is, and it's, but we fight every day. We fight, folks, you've got no idea. I'm not going to complain about this. I'm not going to stretch this out. Just, just let me tell you this. Every day is a new fight with a new agency, with a new company, with a new group, with a new entity, with a new person, with, uh, with whatever. It's always a fight, you know. Um, now we expect that. And Dave Dobmeyer's great because, you know, he'll, he'll, sometimes he'll call me up and say, you know, I'm going to smack you. What do you expect? You're in a war. And he's right. We are all in this war. And, but we're all in this war together. So we all need to gather together and lift one another up and really watch. We cannot, folks, we cannot afford to be divisive as conservatives or as Christians or even really as Americans, but as certainly conservative Christians living in America. We must gather together, uplift one another, fight the fight. And you know, do it, do it with integrity, do it with, with character, and do it for the right reasons. Do it with God in our hearts. And, and I really mean that. And, and you know, it's gonna get rough, it's gonna get bumpy. But I do believe that we will, I, I know in the end we win, but I do believe that, uh, as we progress, although it will be bumpy, some of you might, uh, might experience some uh, air sickness as we go through that. One thing you said that's uh, real important okay, that okay. Um, yeah. on Dave's show last it's time all that we that we talked about on the show was doing things for the right reasons. Yeah. And we were talking about it in the in the context of uh, the the alternative media, the citizen journalists, this huge influx that we've seen uh he has a local reporter on a local T V station that he found who shares a lot of similar views with him. And he, we were talking about the age of, of journalism and how it's changing with the Internet and whatnot. And people who do things to be seen and heard versus doing them to get to the truth. And how if you're doing it for, you know, just to be seen and heard by other people, you're definitely not doing it for the right reason. Yes. And how the people on, you know, CNN uh, who just read scripts all day of fake news or whatever it is, how they ended up in that position and how they ended up 
deciding, yes, this is a good place for me. I can make a, a big difference here. I mean, I can understand that mindset before getting into that role, but then to, to see the role that you're confined to while you're there, it doesn't make sense for somebody unless they're just going after money or notoriety. It's a, because it's, a, it's not real journalism. Point. And if you're going to do things point. for the right reasons, then you will be seen and heard by people because uh, you're you're going after things righteously more so than uh, just to, to make an impression of yourself or for yourself. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's um that, that applies to all areas of life, I would imagine, uh, that, that same logic. But it, it's really important that we do things for the right reason. Otherwise, we're doing them for the wrong reason. And well. <laughs> there's a million of those, you know. Yeah. So. Well, that, I, I just, that's right. No, and we have to. I really believe we, we must keep uh, our, our heads about ourselves. When, when we approach a task, we have to do so with, with sobriety. With a sense of purpose, a singleness of purpose, and we have to do it, as you said, for the right reasons, and we have to make sure that that uh, we're that we're that we're doing it in a manner that is consistent with our Christian beliefs and our Christian uh, uh, biblical uh, guidance. So, yes, I I, I do believe that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm looking at a report. There was a 7.8 earthquake between Russia and Alaska that issued some tsunami warnings. But above that, there's a breaking news on the CNBC ticker. Senate health care bill may have just lost too many GOP votes. It's Look, breaking big red flag. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I, I, I really believe the, to me, very quickly, Joe, um, the, the GOP, the Republicans, if they repeal and replace, they own the ACA. If they repeal it, I, I, I'm in favor of just outright repealing it. Let mar- the market handle itself. Let the market do what it mu- will do. But the government must get out of the insurance business. Don't forget, we've had guests on um, that yeah. have talked about this. We should not be in the, the government should not be in the insurance business. And all of the numbers that you're hearing about how many people are going to be uh, dead or you know, die because of because of this repeal and replace or left uninsured. What a bunch of hooey. Drill down in those numbers and you'll find out that that's not the, that's not the case. And they, they act like there was never health insurance before Obamacare. That's right. When they, when they that's talk a good like point. That. I watched a movie with, uh, my wife over the weekend called The Rainmaker. It has Danny DeVito in it, Matt Damon. It's about a, a young lawyer out of Memphis, uh, who's going after an insurance company who ran a scheme on their clients where they denied all insurance claims. In this case went uh, it's based on a John Grisham book, but the the one lawyer in the in the movie who was arguing for the insurance company said exactly that. Said it obviously in a different context in the movie that you know he was arguing that if they issued punitive damages against the insurance company that it would lead to government entanglement in healthcare. And he started going off on the dangers of those. And interestingly enough, this movie is from the 90s, and he was right on the money in that argument. But this is exactly right during the the first part of the show here. I mentioned a statistic that 67 times they passed uh, a repeal and replace bill while Obama was president. Do you think that was done just for for uh, political grandstanding because they knew Obama would never sign it? Now that Trump's ready to sign something, they can't get it done. Very so interesting beforehand. Yeah, think about that. Give that some consideration. Give it. Give it. Give that the consideration it deserves. Right. I mean, it's either one or the other. Uh, well. And but 67 times. Uh, 67 times. You know, they were able to put it on paper and, and get it through. And now they can't, they can't agree, or this is the story we're being told is that they can't 
find enough common ground with Republicans and, and a few Democrats to agree on anything to be done. And now that it's on the front of Dredge, repeal dead, Obamacare remains law of the land. Well, you know, Mike they, they don't get this done. Um, they're going to be the ones who are on the hook come election yes. time. I, I do agree with that. And, and Mike Rosar, our guest from, uh, from American Thinker, by the way, um, if you didn't catch him, he's coming back. He's going to have to come back, talk more about that, but he's got some interesting ideas on the healthcare reform. And, and I, I really believe, I, I, I just, I, I, the, the end object, end game objective here with healthcare reform, folks, is a single, single payer system. We go to a single payer system with healthcare reform. It's, Total socialism, total, essentially communism, or at least at the very least socialism for the United States. It's the final nail in the coffin, I believe. It's the entire wrecking of the economy. But, uh, read, uh, our, our previous guest, uh, Mike Razor, uh, his, uh, his articles on American Thinker about the healthcare it's uh, very yeah, interesting. And Peter Chauka also, who writes oh, a number. Peter Ch- oh, I mean, that's you. his specialty. Uh, yeah. He's writing about the what's going on with the brilliant healthcare uh, brilliant. litigation and the move towards single payer, communist style, in total fact, control healthcare, uh, as he lays out so well in his articles. In, in fact, Peter Chauka, we, we, yes, absolutely. His articles about, about the healthcare system. Single uh, payer, yeah. Yeah, just amazing. Folks, we'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stay tuned. Kind of thriller predicts the future. In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, folks, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest coming up is Mr. Chris Buskirk. Um, boy, I'll tell you, if you've never heard him, huh, are you in for a treat? Um, before we get to our guest, we're trying to connect with him now. Hopefully that'll, uh, that'll take place here soon. Uh, folks, ready-made resources, ready-made resources. We're not going to put the, uh, you don't have to put up the, the, the panel, but, uh, uh, Bob Griswold from Ready Made Resources has got a lot of specials for, uh, the Hagman and Hagman listeners. Folks, go to readymaderesources.com or, yeah, many, yeah. Ready Made Resources. I can't stop. Yeah, Bob that's Griswold. right. 800 3809 if you want to give them a call, but it's on the screen. And I, I gotta tell you, this is our go-to place, our go-to company for all things preparation in nature. Their night vision, their communication equipment is beyond, um, I mean, it's just tremendous. Their long-term storable food, everything they have there is class, quality, and there's a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Folks, go to readymaderesources.com, but you got to tell them Hagman and the Hagman sent you, the Hagman report sent you. All right. Um, and, and while we wait, we're good. Okay. All right. Well, I, I must say I am just absolutely thrilled to have with us Mr. Chris Buskirk. He's the publisher and editor of American Greatness. It's uh, amgreatness.com. He's the host of the Seth and Chris Show. He was a, uh, a Publius Fellow at the Claremont Institute and received a fellowship from the Earhart Foundation. Chris is a, a, a serial en- entrepreneur who has built and sold businesses in the financial service services and digital marketing uh, venue. He is a frequent guest on NPR's Morning Edition. His writing has appeared in the Washington Post, The Hill, Elsewhere, you can connect with Chris on Twitter at the Chris Buskirk. Okay, it's the only one. Believe me, uh, don't take any uh, anyone else. The it's at the Chris Buskirk. Um, he's a gentleman that that I've been following his his work for for some time. And one thing that when I was talking with John Robertson, who is uh, in the middle of a move, folks, and it's because of your assistance, our expansion, bringing him into uh, from the Pacific Northwest in, into the into our area. He'll be in studio here within a couple of weeks. 
it's because of your assistance and kind assistance as such. Um, uh, when I was talking with him about Chris Buskirk, we, we were talking about uh, uh, his writings, his columns, and uh, it's interesting because one of the things I wanted to talk with uh, Chris about was the but basically what went wrong how did we get here what happened to the mighty America uh, that we saw during the second world war that strength that power that that collective uh, patriotic spirit and it was and, and John and I got off into a conversation about remember you know the Vietnam War, the '60s, the '70s, right after the well, okay, post World War II. You remember the uh, Industrial Revolution, and remember how we entered into the '60s and the Kennedy assassination and the civil civil rights issues, civil chaos. But it was the uh, idealism of the of the '60s and '70s that I think set the agenda for today. That's what I was telling John. And uh, John said, you might be right. And I said, no, I am right. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to ask Chris about this. But with that, I want to I want to welcome, uh, Joan, I want to welcome Mr. Chris Buskirk uh, to the Hagman Report. Chris, welcome, sir. Oh, well, thanks very much. Boy, that was quite a buildup. I don't know how I'm going to live up to it. Oh, you keep, believe me, you can. Uh, <laughs> you can. Um, yeah, you, did I miss anything in the, in the, in the uh, buildup uh, or in the uh, intro? I don't know, father of four, that seems to take up a lot of my time, too, so that's something. Uh, I'm a father of four, too, and let me tell you, <laughs> okay, my, my, uh, I'm old, okay, so, I mean, my gray hair, you know, um, believe me, I don't know how old you, uh, you are. Are you trying to say you're, are you trying to say you earned every one of them? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> right. and my son, this guy here, okay, let me tell you something, all right. Um, I bl- I blame him for all my health problems, my gray hair, and my and my my stuttering right now. Okay, because yeah, but uh, well, you know what? You'll you'll find out. You'll find out. But no, father. Well, Ford, my, well, my my three oldest are teenagers right now, so I'm in the midst of earning all of those gray hairs. You, okay, so wait a second. You got three teen. You got three teens at home. I've got well, I've got all four at home, but the three oldest ones are, are teenagers right now. So right, my my hair might be graying while I'm on the air with you. Okay, folks, we we need to send we need to send Chris like a box of duct tape, any pharmaceuticals <laughs> for him that he might need. Care package, <laughs> yeah, really. Well, no, seriously, uh, children are great, and uh, congratulations on on a beautiful family, okay. indeed. Right. Well, let's get started. You, uh, uh, you've got the website americangreatness.com. Yep. amgreatness.com. And, uh, you do a lot of writing. You, uh, um, but, but let's get right into it. Uh, what went wrong here with respect to where we're at today? Where, where? Well, there's, we uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question. It's a good thing you've got an hour long show because, uh, we can at least scratch the surface a little bit. But, you know, one of the ways I, um, I, I won't, belabor this too much, but I'll go kind of way back. I mean, if we look in the 19th century, you know, there's a, there's a school of thought out there that, that has, uh, that has the sort of vigorous debate going on of, uh, you know, these are people who observe politics and history pretty closely, smart people. And they wonder to themselves, they say, you know, in Europe, in the middle of the 19th century, there were all these socialist revolutions after Karl Marx published uh, Das Kapital and, you know, and, and those, these ideas, these socialist ideas just, they swept uh, they swept Europe and uh, they caused all kinds of social unrest. Those 
you know, of course, in the middle of the of the sorry, not 18th, but the, in the middle of the 19th century, we were in this country. Of course, we were separated by an ocean, but we were also embroiled in our own disputes. So we just didn't have the time to really even to think about socialism, Marxism, all of these pernicious ideas that were rocking Europe to its core. But that doesn't mean they never got here. They were imported uh, later in the 19th century, and of course, in the 20th century. That's that's one of the one of the ideas is to say, well, we imported bad ideas. From Europe, and those have undermined the uh, the political foundation of this country, which was solid. I mean, we look at the Declaration of Independence, we look at the uh, other documents of the founding era, of course, culminated with the Constitution, and we say, well, what happened? I mean, you know, people like us, we pick up those documents and we say, anybody can pick these documents up, they can read them, they can understand them. It, to use the phrase that uh, Jefferson used in the Declaration, these there are self-evident truths. In other words, they're just common sense. We know this. Uh, but something changed along the lines, and so there's one school of thought that says, well, did we import bad ideas, um, and those undermined our politics, or there's, or the other side of the debate, some of them says that they were here all along. America has been, always has been, uh, a very religious nation, more so than uh, Europe in a lot of ways. We were founded uh, really by the Puritans in 1620. Um, and but we had a vigorous, have had a vigorous religious, primarily Christian, but not exclusively, but primarily Christian uh, religious tradition in this country. And then long about again the late 19th century, early 20th century, we have this sort of theological liberalism that swept through the American mainline Protestant churches, and they sapped a lot of the the ideas and the strength out of the American project themselves. And so this debate says. Well, if we imported them, if if we we look at you know the the regime as it is today, not what we want, something we hope to reclaim, something we think we can reclaim and restore, and but we look and we say, well, if we imported the ideas, then it was murder. If the ideas were already here and it was uh, then uh, and they just went wrong, then it was suicide. Which is it? You know, it's uh, that's a debate worth having uh, for the for the historians because we need to, I think, understand our history better. Uh, when we wrote the book, when we wrote American Greatness, we started a little bit a little bit sooner. When we understood that debate, uh, but we wanted to look in the post-war years, uh, post-World War II, and that's kind of where you start. But I wanted to just kind of like, explain kind of when when we wrote this book, what was our backdrop sure. um, to it? And so we said to ourselves, we said, let's look at right after World War II. So America is uh, America is on top of everything. We just we just won the war. Uh, of course, there's the Cold War going on. Communism is an existential threat to America, to to uh, to the Western world. It is uh, a fight that went on for 40 years, uh, well, closer to 50. Uh, but it was a fight that was going on. But nonetheless, I mean, the, the the years after World War II, this was what sometimes gets referred to as the Pax Americana. This was the American peace, and there was peace and prosperity throughout the Western world, through, of course, in the United States. And um, nonetheless, this is when we really started to see. The, a lot of these socialist ideas take hold in the United States. They had, they had come in earlier in the 30s uh, with FDR and the New Deal, but by this time they had just they had grown some roots, and that was really uh, that was disturbing. You know, people that we would be identified today as conservatives in the 50s and the 60s, they were still hoping that they could roll back the New Deal. All of these programs that FDR put into place in the 30s, they were thinking, you know, it was, bear in mind it was only. It had only happened 20 years earlier, 25 years earlier, and they thought, look, if we can get enough, uh, if we can get enough of us uh, into Congress and into and get a good Republican into the White House, we can undo the damage that FDR did before the war. Uh, you know, because there had, of course, been this sort of pause on that uh, on dealing with those sorts of things during the war. 
And, uh, and so that's, we saw in 1955, that's when we saw William F. Buckley Jr. found National Review. And, you know, one of the main reasons that he founded National Review in the first place was to oppose what was sometimes then called collectivism or socialism, uh, and really to help fight the Cold War. They wanted to fight collectivism at home in our domestic policies, and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to steal the resolve of Americans everywhere in the face of the Soviet threat, and at that time, by the way, of the Chinese Communist threat. And so here's Buckley. He founds National Review in 1955, and uh, and he did a, he did a great service uh, to this country. And it was I say this all the time, but without Bill Buckley and without National Review, it's almost impossible to see how Ronald Reagan would have been elected in 1980. And Reagan, of course, won the Cold War. And so in that sense, uh, the people around Buckley and around National Review had a tremendous positive impact on the United States and for that matter on world history because they, they fought the, they fought the intellectual battle first. They made Reagan possible. They helped arm him. They helped educate him. And of course, Reagan and Buckley were friends for decades and decades. Um, and so we saw on the right, we saw that the, uh, we saw that the right really is where all of the, uh, all of the all the good ideas were coming from. It was a very vibrant intellectual movement, but it was very much directed at fighting these two battles, you know, kind of rolling back the welfare state and defeating international imperialistic communism. Well, great, we did it. You know, at least the, we did the latter one. Reagan did the latter one. He, he won the Cold War. He was less successful. Um, he was less successful at rolling back uh, the welfare state, much less successful. And that's not a, that's not a shot at Reagan. And you can only you can only accomplish so much. He he won a huge victory for the West and for the United States. Uh, but after that, and that's where we really saw the worm turn. Is after Reagan, we saw you know Reagan won the Reagan won two huge elections. He won the Cold War, and then we found the Bushes inherited the, the Republican Party, and that's when things really started to change. Late eighties. Early 90s, and then you have the influx of what are now called, well, they were called this then too, but neoconservatives. And the neocons now say, well, okay, we won this one big foreign policy battle. Um, you know, we won the Cold War. Now what? You know, we've, it's kind of like we've got an army. What are we going to do with it? And, uh, and that's when things started to really get, uh, you know, from my, from our perspective, they really started to, uh, they really started to turn. And that's when conservatism started to change itself. What's, um, what's understood as intellectual conservatism, DC conservatism, beltway conservatism. And that's what we really dig into in the, in the book is to say, you know, how did this happen? Because, you know, a lot of people, their frame of reference goes back sort of to Reagan or a little bit before that. Yep. And, and, you know, and we wanted to dig in and say, okay, look, we're, Reagan won, and then somehow it all, it all got away from us. And the next thing you know, we've got DC Beltway conservative type people who we can barely tell the difference between them and the Democrats anymore. You, you know, Chris, let me ask you this. And, and by the way, our, uh, folks, our guest is Chris Buskirk. Um, I, I should note, if you go to WND Superstore, Use a promo code Hagman. He's got a, a, his book uh, just out, American Greatness. I, I failed to mention that earlier. Um, what I noticed during the the Reagan Revolution, if as many people called that, the uh, and, and you remember the the, the contract, the, the conservative contract, or the contract with the, with uh, America, the contract with America. Yeah, that was New Gingrich. Yeah, it, it's it, you know. Okay, let me ask you, as opposed to giving you my thoughts, were we hoodwinked, or 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 
I mean, what happened at that point? And I know you touched on it in this conversation, but 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 that conservative nugget of of energy that 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 uh, that promise that, that that seemed to be there that just kind of evaporated. It did. Yeah, no, it really did. I mean, look, the contract with America was 1994. That was Newt Gingrich as, um, you know, first as minority leader and then ultimately, of course, becoming the speaker. And there was so much, there was a lot of good in the contract with America. And what Newt was trying to do, and remember, Reagan had only been out of office for, for, you know, five and a half years at that point. And so what, what Newt was doing is he was saying, look, we want, he's, you know, he saw it exactly the way that we, we were just discussing a few minutes ago, which is to say Reagan won the Cold War. He won the big foreign policy, national security war of our age. But he was not able to do things uh, on the domestic front in the way uh, that he had wanted to, in the way that he that in the way that he ran on. I mean, you look at Reagan's platforms in '80 or in '84, and this was somebody who wanted to close the Department of Education. He wanted to close the Department of Energy. Right? He this was somebody who really was serious about reducing the size and scope of the federal government and returning the power to the states and to the American people. And so Newt was trying to recapture that and take some of these ideas that were coming out of uh, the conservative think tanks, places like the Heritage Foundation and others, there are things that were being written about in places like the National Review. But he was taking ideas that had been kicking around Washington for 30 years, right? Welfare reform, all these ideas, you know, things that made a lot of common sense and he said, let's put this together in a contract with America. You know, this was great electoral politics. We're going to tell everybody what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a great name for it. And we're going to go try and win some elections. And then we're going to have a mandate for doing this. And as a Congress, we're going to go in and pass these things. Well, the contract with America was very successful electorally. Uh, and Newt was able to pass a lot of those things. But the Republicans themselves became the problem. You know, I say it all the time. They basically just went native. You know, I think it was, uh, I think it was almost an embarrassment of riches. The, the analogy I love to use uh, all the time is, you know, the, the Republicans we have today are effectively trust fund babies. You know, they have this, they have this multi-decade inheritance of goodwill, of intellectual, uh, 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 of intellectual, um, what shall we say, uh, that they're, that Intellectually, they have been verified by all of the people, like you know, who count in D.C. If we want to put it that way, and they've got all these things, but they don't do anything with them. So they're basically spending off their inheritance right now with no new ideas, and they're very comfortable. They like to they like to go to the conferences. This is what we call sometimes conservatism Inc., which is you know all these uh, long time institutions. You know that we when we were writing the book, we added it up. They spend about five hundred million dollars a year. And uh, it's a very good life. But, you know, after the contract with America, nobody seemed to be much interested in those ideas. They were very interested in feathering their own beds. And, uh, you know, this is one of those situations where things just sort of got gradually worse. It was the idea of, you know, boiling the frog, and we never noticed. Now, we saw the Tea Party, of course, in 2010 pop up and say, hold on a second. You know, we've got a, got, we've got, we've got a few thousand people in Washington who call themselves conservatives, who call themselves Republicans, who are doing really, really well. It's a great life if you're them. Right. And meanwhile, the rest of us out here in the country, I live in Phoenix, uh, the rest of us out here in the country, if you're in Phoenix or Wichita or in Bangor, Maine or whatever, you're looking at these Republicans, these conservatives, and saying, what have you actually accomplished? What have you done? You pay lip service to things uh, in a way that we love. Like We love the rhetoric, but we just aren't getting any results. And, uh, and, you know, this was something where I, I think two things happened. One is people 
uh, were seduced by the money, by the power, by the proximity to power in D.C. That's half of it. The other part of it, though, is unfortunately is actually even worse, which is conservatives, the, you know, of the people who are, let's say, 50 and younger, by and large, there obviously are exceptions, they just got seduced by the ideas of the left. They didn't even know it. And this was the, this is the dangerous part, is the difference between the Democrats on the left and the Republicans or, you know, a lot of these conservatism types on the right is the, the Democrats, the hard left people, they have an agenda, they understand their ideology, and they're going for it, right? That's a problem, and we're happy to, ha- happy to have that debate, happy to fight them at, uh, happy to fight them at the ballot box anytime. The problem is on the right, the people who are supposed to be our allies, well, they basically, a lot of them basically bought into a lot of the left-wing ideas. They bought into a lot of the premises. That's why you see this milk-toasty response. You know, anytime somebody says, uh, racist, you know, even if it's, uh, even if it's on some, you know, something that isn't on a common sense level, could not possibly be construed as racist, you see the, these people running for cover and they can't issue the apologies fast enough because, right. you know, they're, they're afraid, they don't have any courage. And by the way, they kind of agree. They kind of think, oh, Republicans equals racist. Why? Because they were taught it in college and that's just, they've, they've just drunk it in with the water. They've breathed it in with the air and they don't even know it anymore. Meanwhile, meanwhile, people like you or me are probably the people who are watching right now who actually live lives outside of the Washington bubble. We say, hold on a second. That's not what America is about. That's not who we are. We just, we, we just want, we just want to govern ourselves, right? That's the question all politics asks, which is who rules? And is it going to be this small group of people, uh, inside of a, a beltway bubble or is, is power actually going to be, uh, is, or is political power actually going to belong to the people? Well, you know, we have one answer. I think Donald Trump has an answer. I think some of the Republicans who were elected last year have an answer, but there's still this residual mass of people who think, you know what, actually we know better. Guys, we'll have the elections, but we're going to do what we want. Anyway, that's why, you know, look at the Obamacare repeal. How yeah. many years and how many dollars, uh, have been spent by Republicans telling us how they're going to, how they hate Obamacare, how, what they're going to repeal it. If only they had the power, right? Give us Congress and we'll repeal Obamacare. Well, they got Congress and they didn't do it, right? Give us the White House and we'll repeal Obamacare. Well, they got the White House too. And, uh, they're struggling. And by the way, it's not a straight up repeal, which is what people like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell have been saying they were going to do for years and years and years. And as it turns out, they like to raise money on the idea of repealing Obamacare because it's popular with the base. When it comes to actually doing it, maybe not so much. Yeah, we, we, uh, boy, we gotta talk. Um, I, we, we've got some questions here for you. Our, our audience, uh, is just going, going crazy. Um, liking what they're hearing from you. Of course, our guest is Chris Buskirk. He's the author of American, uh, Greatness. Excuse me, the, the book American Greatness. It, it's, it's out, I mean, for the general public, right? At, at WNDC. Yeah, it is out. It's okay. at the WD Superstore. You can also get it on Amazon or in your local bookstore now. Oh, okay, okay, good. Because it just—I mean, it just came out, folks. And let me tell you something. If you like what you're hearing, um, this is a really uh, comprehensive. It, there's no wasted words in this book. Um, you're, uh, you co, uh, forgive, forgive me for not remembering the co-author's name on, on your. The co-author is Seth, is Seth Leibson. He's also, uh, he's also my co-host on my radio show. Okay. Or I guess I should say our radio show. You're, okay. Good. American Greatness. It's a great book. It, it really gets, it, it, it's interesting because the four is written by William Bennett and, um, 
I, I like the uh, uh, like the first chapter, the agony of victory. I like I just I just <laughs> I, I like the title of that, <laughs> and it, it reflects much much of what you said. Chris, I got, I got a question going back to something you just said, and you you explained it really well. What what do the American people need to do to bridge the gap between the the American people who are on the 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 right side, the conservative side? And know what they want to get done versus the people in positions of power on the right who are either you know grandstanding or or you know as you described uh, falling into you know this rhino kind of trap. Uh, what what can we do aside from elections? Is there any way to put light a fire under their feet um, to let them know yeah, that they were serious? Because if this gets to the midterm and they don't get anything done, they continue to stall on on the on the Trump agenda, what he was elected for. People will vote them out of office. I don't think they. I don't know if they would believe that, or, or they don't get it through the head, or they don't care. But that the is, people that see is it. The, yeah, no, that is the eternal question. I mean, do they, do they not get it? it? You know, there's there's a couple different answers to that question. But uh, look, obviously, elections matter. I want to start there because I do think elections matter, and I, I want to say very emphatically that uh, there are a number of Republican office holders right now in Congress and in the Senate who should be primaried, and they should just be replaced. You know, I tell the story quite often uh, that you know, if, you know, I don't know what, what your uh, what what your uh, viewership is like. You know, on our radio show, there are a lot of people who who they know their Bible pretty well. You know, when when uh, when uh, when the Israelites were sent up to take the Promised Land, they would not enter the Promised Land, and so and so God had them wait for another generation to come up before they could enter the Promised Land. It's a well known. Uh, you know, this is a well-known story of Moses leading the Israelites out. He, even Moses didn't enter the Promised Land, and I think that I think of that all the time because I think of some of these Republicans. We got to the Promised Land in a, in, a, in in a certain way, right? We have a Republican majority in the House. We have a Republican majority in the Senate. We have a Republican in the White House. This is what everybody's been saying we need for years and years and years. If you know, if only we had those things, then we could do X, Y, and Z. You know, list off all of the conservative. Uh, all the conservative checklists. Just get, just vote us enough people into office, and we'll do it. Well, you know, you got it, guys. And uh, what you have demonstrated is that you don't want to do it. And I'm painting with a broad brush here uh, a bit when I say you guys. You know, look, there is a there is a caucus within the Republican Party that is not very Republican, that is not very conservative, and they are more apparently more than happy to take the whole party down with them for whatever reason. Those people just need to be replaced. So, you know, in, in 18 and in 2020, we need to have good people go out there and run. Those things matter, and nothing matters quite that much. There's an article in Politico today, and I'm in, I'm live in Arizona. You know, we have John McCain and Jeff Flake uh, as U.S. senators, both Republicans, and both. You know, I can tell you, for instance, on my radio show, if I ever want to, if I ever want to fill my lines, my my call on lines, all I have to do is say. You know, what, what do you guys think of Jeff Flake? What do you guys think of John McCain? And I will be, I'll have an hour or two hours worth of calls with people saying, I held my nose to vote for him. Why couldn't we have a better option? And that's part of it is getting good candidates out there recruited. Politico today says that there, we, that there are three candidates in Arizona to run against Jeff Flake in the primary. All three of them I know, all three of them are good. All three of them support the Trump agenda. That by itself, just having that out there puts pressure on Jeff Flake to, to support the Trump agenda. That's part of it. 
The other thing is, you know, just in terms of practical street le- street level politics, is I think that constituents need to get out there and be more active, more vocal with their with, with their representatives. The representatives really do respond to their constituents, and this and we've seen this, by the way. I mean, we've seen this over the past six months. The left is very, very good at organizing their people, at getting them out. I mean, look at these town halls that these Republican representatives have had over the past six months. These guys go back into their districts, and they want to have a town hall with their constituents. Well, guess what's happened? You know, these Soros-funded organizations have bust people in, 100, 200, 300. They've given them all the... uh all, all the impromptu signs that just happen to have appeared in everybody's hands and all have the same slogans on them. You know, they give them all the signs, they give them all the talking points, and these guys are pressured and bullied. And quite honestly, many of them, many of them look at that and they say, hmm, are those my constituents? Is that what they really think? You know, that's your classic AstroTurf operation. The only way to really push back against that is that we need to, the people who support them, if you're living in a district where you have a Republican congressman or if you have a Republican senator, let them know what you want. Go to their town halls. You know, a lot of them now have tele, tele-town halls that are call-ins, but do what you can to make sure that your voice is heard because they want to hear the same people, right? They don't want to just hear these whack jobs who are out there wearing pink hats and yelling at them at the town halls. They know, deep down they know that these people are are, are being busted in by, by some type of a front group. But they have to have that counterbalance to, to give them the security to say, okay, hold on, my constituents still support me. They're like, I, they just need to sort of touch wood and you know ground themselves a little bit and say, fine, there are people out there who support me. I've been running on repealing Obamacare. Maybe I should really do it. And, and that's uh, that type of uh, that type of sort of moral support actually is very uh, actually is very very important. I spend more time in D.C. Uh, than I care to admit in public. And I meet with these guys all the time, and you know, a lot of them want to do the right thing, but they need they need to know that they're being supported by the by the people back in their districts. That is a that's a huge help. Yeah, you you've got the ear of some very influential people. Um, I just I, folks our, our guest Chris uh, Buskirk, uh, the author of America, co-author of American Greatness, and of course the uh, uh, host of um, this co-host of the Seth and Chris show. Uh, but yeah, you 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 have you've got some very high-powered, influential friends uh, within the Beltway, and, and that's great because you've got. Uh, I, I truly believe you've got some some great solutions, as illustrated or as uh, detailed in your book, American Greatness. And, and folks, go to WND Superstore, use promo code Hagman, grab a hold of a copy, just dial American Greatness. You won't be sorry on this. Um, now, Chris, uh, uh, how how do we? Oh, and by the way, folks, and I want to thank uh, Global Star Radio Network for. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna skip the bottom of the hour break because the information with Mr. Buskirk has is just so uh, so important. I don't want to waste a minute of our time on this. Uh, uh, where do we even begin to fix this? I know you, I know you had given us some bits and pieces here but I think people have this this feeling like man we're we're not going to be able to fix this we're not going to be able to change things right no we can we can fix it that 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 is not something that bothers me or or worries me to be honest with you it's um hold on I've got some a Skype issue here hold on okay am I 
Am I good? Is my video okay? Yeah, you're fine. Audio video is good. Oh, okay. It's, okay, good. Anyway, you know, no, you know what? We can fix this. The what I hear from people all the time is why hasn't it been fixed yet? And I always say the same thing, which is, you know, this was a problem that was a hundred years in the making. It's going to take more than six months uh, to fix it. And and I've talked to, I mean, I talk to people. Uh, who are active in politics. I talk to people who call into my radio show. You know, I'm, this is what I do. And th there is this frustration out there because I, in some sense we were, uh, maybe sold a bill of goods. Maybe our expectations were set too high when people, you know, in the heat of an election, in the heat of a campaign, people say, you know, look, vote these people in and we're going to get all these problems solved. Well, yeah. And yes, that's true, I guess. But you have to understand that I guess you have to under, you have to start by understanding the depth of the problem and how long it took for us to get where we are. I think Donald Trump has done a very very good job in the first six months, especially when you consider the the massive amount of opposition that he has gotten from not just from the left, not just from the media. That's been bad enough, right? But from people within his own party. You know, I mentioned John McCain and Jeff Flake uh, earlier, but they're not the only ones. But these are these are Republican senators who go out of their way to undercut the president in public every time they can. And, you know, I look back on the first six months, we're almost at the six-month mark here of the Trump administration, and I look at him and I say, well, you know, I can remember not that long ago, it was just, you know, last fall, you know, conservatism Inc. type people saying, you know, if we, and this was David French in the, in the National Review, saying, you know, it basically if we elect Donald Trump, this will be the end of the pro-life movement. This will undermine the pro-life agenda in this country. Well, really? I mean, that that now seems pretty ridiculous. You know, Donald Trump reinstated uh, what they call the Mexico City policy, which prevents U.S. federal government dollars from going to any organization abroad that funds abortions. He put Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. You know, he, he sent Mike Pence, the vice president, to the March for Life. He's been he's turned out to be a very pro-life president. You know, we talk about well, what are we going to do about the courts? The courts are out of control. I mean, look at the uh, look at the shenanigans with the uh, with the tra with the so-called travel ban. We have this rogue judge out in Hawaii who wants to change U.S. policy with regard to border security on his own. The president, who was elected by 63 million people, acts well within his rights uh, to to secure the nation, to secure the borders by restricting access for a certain group of people from a small group of countries, by the way, that was identified by Barack Obama, and we've got this hardcore left-wing judge out in Hawaii who says, you know what, no, I don't, I don't agree with this. He was, uh, he was overturned, uh, at least temporarily, at the Supreme Court. I think he'll be permanently overturned uh, when the case is heard in the next term. But then he comes back and does it again on a narrower, base, on a narrower basis last week. And I, why do I bring that up, that example? Well, for two reasons. One is because I say, well, look, Neil Gorsuch, it was a huge win, right? This is somebody who's going to serve on the court, God willing, for 30 or 40 years, and he's, I think, going to be a very uh, constitutionalist uh, justice. That's a good thing. But, but, but the other part of it is to say we've got all these – we're so far into it now that we've got these federal judges who think that they can overturn the results of an election at the stroke of a pen. I mean, this guy out in Hawaii who is an Obama appointee, he doesn't think twice about, about straying from the letter of the law, about straying from the letter of the Constitution, the plain, the plain black and white letter that's on the page. Why? Because it, because it conflicts with his ideology. And so he says, well, I've got the power, I've got the opportunity, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to try and change policy for the whole country. And so when people say, well, what can we do? How do we do this? Can we, can we save the country? I say, yeah, we can. Uh, because we still, remember, we did just win a huge election. 
So that that tells you something. I think that actually tells us a lot about where where a big center of gravity in this country is. But we have to restore the basic ideas uh, that uh, that undergird a cell, a, a, a regime that is governed by self government. We need to do that, but then we also need to do what the left did. And this is where the left has been very, very good, and it's why they're so effective. It's because they're very organized, they're very systematic, and they always, always, always have their eyes on the prize. I mean, it was a 100 years ago that the left set out consciously to do what they called a long march through the cultural institutions. This was not just government, but it was also the, it was also the schools, it was the universities, it was the media. And they set about saying, look, this is, this is by the way, just straight out of you know, Marxist and Leninist ideology and the practical aspect of their politics. And they said, if we can control this small group of institutions, right, with a small group of people, then we can influence the politics of the whole country. And not only influence it, we can change the institutions themselves. We can take control. You know, if you can, if you are the, uh, if you dri- are driving a semi, right, you're just one person with the wheel, but you can influence, uh, you, well, not just influence, you can decide where everybody uh, and everything in that semi is going, and that was that's the genius, uh, the political genius on the left. Well, the right needs to really understand what practical politics is all about, and say we need to do the exact same thing. We need to take power back from the left. Part of that is, and Steve Bannon has been very, very good on this, is he says we need to deconstruct and defund what he calls the deep state, what I call the deep state too, and this is this fourth branch of government. It's unelected. It's basically unaccountable. It's what people sometimes call the bureaucracy. You know, over half of all laws today come from the bureaucracy. They don't come from the Congress. And they are, and the people are basically shut out of that process. You don't like it? Well, too bad. You can't, you can't call your congressman. Congress, in a lot of, in a lot of these cases, has ceded their power of oversight over to the Department of XYZ or the, the blah, blah, blah Administrative Bureau, right? All these bureaus, agencies, administrations, you know, like the EPA or the FAA or the FCC. And by the way, they go on and on and on. You know, these are the, these are where the real centers of power are. Well, how do you control them? Even Congress doesn't know. Congress has the ability to do it, but they so far have lacked the vision to do it and also the courage to do it. They need to defund them. You know, I tell this story all the time. If we go back to, we were talking about Reagan earlier. In 1980, Reagan explicitly ran on the idea of shrinking the size and scope of the federal government. He wanted to close the uh, Department of Education, which at that point was only three years old. He wanted to close the Department of Energy and some of the other uh, smaller bureaucracies. When it was time to close the Department of Education, it wasn't the Democrats who stopped him. It was the, some of the Republican senators who, who, in the Senate in 1981 who wouldn't do it. You know, and this is, this goes back to the elect, the electoral issue. We've got to have, we've got to lay out what the program is and we have to be absolutely single-minded in pursuing it. We've got to be, that, we've got to be brave. This is why the, uh, this is why the, the ancients, the, you know, this is why the, the Greeks, in particular Aristotle, said, what's the chief of all virtues? Courage. Because without courage, you can't do anything with any, with any of the others. And this, we need courage right now. You're absolutely right, Chris. And, and two things that you, you just said, you said a whole lot there. We can go in a number of diff- different directions. But we just had Phil Haney on, and, uh, on Friday, and we talked with him about the executive order, I believe it was February 4th or 14th of 2014, that uh, Jay Johnson was a part of that allowed the yep. uh, the federal register and the laws to be changed by federal agencies rather than the laws going through Congress, as you just pointed out, that they are allowed to do that. 
you know, they're in fact cutting out the people and Congress from the uh, ability to to pass laws and get things in the Federal Register as law. And you know, that's a huge problem. When we look at the you, know, you just talked about the judicial activism and and the judges working outside the constitutional law and working for ideology instead. When we have that that deep state um, influence in you know what they're a lot able to get on the books as laws that's a huge danger to to the freedom and system of government and another thing that he said is also that the 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 left the uh this liberal mindset that we see is a a, a soft coup going after our constitution doing exactly what the constitution says when you have a want a change of government you issue a, a, a the grievance list of grievances and then you you go to try to overturn that overturn that form of government he made the argument that that's exactly what they're doing only not to a, a more constitutional type government instead they're trying to undermine the constitution using the constitution to bring in this you know socio-communist um, get liberalism that, <laughs> yeah well look i could not agree with you more i mean there's been a lot uh, there's been a lot written about this recently and i think that's a good thing i think that's a start you know this. Uh, this is uh, you know this is what we sometimes call cultural Marxism, uh, but it, it's uh, it, but it has influenced the way that the left has done politics. And, and I you know I've got to take my hat off to the left sometimes because they are so effective. You know you have to give the devil his due. Uh, but we need to do that in, in reverse because what is going on, what has gone on, and maybe we're just now catching on to it, or, or some of us are, uh, because there are people who've written about this literally for decades is that we are seeing the rights of the people, the fundamental rights, taken away. This isn't an argument about taxes, right? Arguments about taxes are important, and they're real, and we should have them. Uh, but, you know, if you tell me that I, you think that the uh, – I don't think you're going to tell me this, by the way. If you tell me that you think the marginal tax rate should be uh, on income should be 47.2%, and I say, you know what, uh, actually, I think that the marginal uh, tax rate on income should be uh, 28.5%. You know, that – that's a real argument, and it's important, but that is about that. That's a second tier, or even a third tier argument in some ways, because what the what the left has done is while we were arguing about that, again, an important argument, they were actually taking over control of where that decision was made, right? Yeah. That is, that that's more fundamental. That's the constitutional issue, which says, well, you guys go ahead. While you guys squabble among yourselves about tax tax rates. And we're, we, meanwhile, we're going to take over the, we're going to take away from the people, we're going to take away from the legislators the, the place as to where those decisions are made. And we're going to put, we're going to give the EPA the ability to tax. We're going to give uh, some of these other administrations the places to tax, like the FCC. Uh, we're going to take those and remove them from the political realm. And we're going to put them into the realm of what they call administration. Well, that just means that, you know, that's just tyranny by another name. This is the idea that, you know, we're experts. We know better. We're going to do it right. And you, you, you know, the, the electorate, the unwashed masses, you don't know what you're doing. And so we, you don't, you're not responsible enough to do this. Well, this is, this is the bigger issue that we need to deal with, it, with, which is who rules, right? I say this all the time which is the fundamental question in politics always. The base question is, who rules? Is it going to be the American people through their elected representatives, or is it going to be some other group of people who have managed to get control, you know, right under our noses, have managed to get control of the levers of power, and now they're making the laws, and if you don't like them, you know, well, you can try and change them, but good luck with that. And, uh, you know, that takes us back to the conversation of, of ideology, uh, more so than policy right now, and what 
is is troubling and very interesting about this time is that we see this I've never seen in my lifetime in 34 not that I'm that old but uh, the, there's such division in ideology between what the the left wants and, and what the right wants or even the constitutional government versus the the communist totalitarian mindset that we see and you know going even going back to the election I wonder did people elect Trump because it was a, a vote against Hillary Clinton or a vote for you know the what Trump wanted to get done the Trump agenda and I guess that's not real important but we do continue to see this political divide um, along ideological lines that's very strong and you referenced a scripture earlier in the, you know a very well-known scripture a house divided itself against itself cannot stand yeah. now obviously we can't get everybody on the same page at any point in, in our history here in America but is there anything I mean is this a is this going to be an all-or-nothing type fight with the level of division that we've seen uh, between the left and the right uh, in some sense, the answer is yes. It has to be because the because the because the stakes are that high, and it's because the, it's because of the question. I go back to the question of who rules. Well, if you think that the people deserve to rule uh, through their elected representatives, if you think that that is the only legitimate source of of power for the government, then you're on the right. By definition, you're on the right. The, the left has basically given up. On that, on that idea. Now, some of them will admit to it today, and there are there are plenty on the left who have admitted to that uh, these days. They're very what they call it. You know, they're results oriented, uh, which is a euphemism for saying tyranny, which is a euphemism for saying despotism. We're going to take the power away from the people. There's some people on the left who haven't under, who have not yet understood uh, that that's where their where leftist ideology leads, or where Quite frankly, that's where leftist ideology is right now. I mean, we t- we use the example all the time of the courts, but you could use the example just as easily of uh, of the bureaucracy of the deep state. You know, these are people who say, "Look, we see what the letter of the law is. We know what the Constitution says. We're going to do something different. Why? Because I think it's right." I mean, this is why the this is why this judge out in Hawaii uh, uh, did what he did with, uh, with Trump's travel ban, not because that's what the law said. That's not because that's what the Constitution said, but because that's what he thinks is right. You see this in the decisions from the Supreme Court or in the opinions from people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sotomayor uh, and some of the other lefties on, on the court, which is to say, they, you know, they kind of grasp at straws and they come up with these fig leaves and these kind of imaginative arguments, but basically they are asserting their will over the over the reason uh, of the people that's been expressed through their legislators. So in that sense, is it all or nothing? Yeah, it is because the because we're at, we're talking about who's going to rule. Is it going to be the people in constitutional government, or is it going to be the so-called experts? Right. I mean, I I hate the term, but this is the term the left uses. They tr- try and put themselves up on this pedestal like we know better. You know, this mm-hmm. this has been tried all over the all over the world, all throughout human history, and always and everywhere when you have these type of systems of government where you have some type of aristocracy or oligarchy. It becomes abusive of, of the natural rights, the God-given rights of everybody else, whether it be 20% ruling over 80 or 5% ruling over 95. You know, it winds up being abusive uh, of the of the uh, of the majority of people who don't hold power, and that uh, and that is what this that that's why the American miracle is called a miracle in the first place. The American project well, was the project to put together is to put together a government that could actually last that was based on. The, uh, on the self-evident, God-given rights that were described by Jefferson in the Declaration. That's what we're fighting for. Now, is it easy? No, but it, it's a fight because human nature being what it is, people want power. Uh, but there's people like us 
and we understand that those are the stakes, and we just need to push back, and we need to understand that what we're what we're fighting for is worthwhile. You know, the, one of the look we talked about our kids earlier. That to me is one of the things that makes it worthwhile. It's not an abstract ideal of justice or or, or right for me. It's like I, there's a next generation uh, that I have a responsibility for, a very real one, um, and that and I don't want them to live in a world. Uh, in a country that has given up the inheritance that we have given up, the, you know, the great political inheritance of freedom, uh, of justice, and the protecting of the, the of the natural rights uh, of man that uh, this country was designed to protect. You know, Chris, uh, I just have to say, as a father, um, I respect I respect that uh, that feeling, and I don't know how anyone, and, and maybe this doesn't even need to be said, but maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know how any father could uh, look at their children and not feel a sense of responsibility that we must change. We we, we must be agents of change. We we must be that spark plug. We must be that uh, the impetus for change, and we must see it through. Because I don't want my children or another generation beyond that to walk by my gravestone and. Instead of you know saying hey boy he did a good job um, you know spitting down on the ground um, uh, at my gravestone you know because what we leave our children is so important much more important than of course where we're at right now and and of course you know it's so I, I get that and as a parent and although we you know we, we joked a little bit about being parents initially uh, it's an awesome responsibility. That we've got to our children, and the one we have to take seriously, indeed. Yeah, look, that 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 is everything. I mean, I, you, you think about it, and you know this as a father. You think, well, you know, if if it was just me, I could, you know, I could take X, Y, and Z. Uh, not I, not that you necessarily want to uh, sit back and take it, but you could, right? But that's not the point. It, the point is, is that uh, we have a we have a very solemn responsibility to do something. Uh, for our families and for the people around us, and I quite I, I view uh, the citizenry of this country as, uh, in some sense, an extended family. So I have a I have a big responsibility to my own family, to my own kids, uh, but then I do think that we have responsibilities to our fellow citizens, and uh, it's not just to, uh, to to do what the Europeans seem to be doing, which is to leave it, you know not reproducing and leading these hedonistic lifestyles that are about getting, you know, I don't know, 50, trying to figure out how to get fit the 53rd week of vacation every year. Uh, you know, we have a responsibility to try and conti- continue uh, to defend the regime that we have. I say regime, meaning the sense, the form of government uh, that we have that allows people to have their families, to you know, to have a freedom of religion, I have to, to to have that argument about well, should the should the marginal tax rate be forty five percent or twenty five percent? You know, it's having that form in place. That is the battle. That that's not just the battle. That's the war. I mean, that is the process. Really, is everything. And this is what's very frustrating for, for me. I, I, I talk about this quite a lot. It's, some of it's in the book, uh, but I've talked about this elsewhere which is the left rejects constitutionalism itself, not just what the substance of the Constitution, meaning not just what you know the Bill of Rights says, they reject the idea of constitutionalism. Right? When, how do we know this? Well, we know this because when we look at the way they act, 
we see that they, for instance, you know, we, we, they don't like, I'm going to go back to, uh, I'm going to go back to the life issue. The, they don't like the fact that, uh, there are restrictions uh, upon abortion in the, in state laws. That's always where the, the restrictions were, were in state laws, not in the federal law. So they basically get a bunch of left, left wing judges on the Supreme Court to say, well, the, we just discovered there's a right to abortion in the Constitution. Well, I mean, Anybody who looks at the Constitution and reads it cannot honestly in good faith say that that's there. But the left rejected the idea that they, if they didn't like that, okay, if they thought there was some fundamental right to abortion, they had the ability to make it a constitutional right. They just had to go through the amendment process, which meant persuading people. And the left has no patience for persuading people. They don't have the time or the inclination to do the hard work of political persuasion in order to go through the process to amend the Constitution to get what they want. So they find, so they shortcut it. They say, well, you know what? And this goes back to this, uh, the Marxist Leninist political tactics. They say, you know what? I, why do I have to persuade tens of millions of people to do this? I can just get a couple of extra uh, people on the Supreme Court, and that's all I need. So I'm just going to focus my efforts on doing that. You know, and but that undermines the idea of constitutional government itself. The people are sovereign. If we want to, if we want to amend the Constitution in order to uh, create a deep state that's unaccountable to uh, to to the legislature or to the people, suppose we could do that. But they don't do that. You know, everything is subterfuge. Everything is trying to shortcut the system in order to get what you want. It's the it's you know this old, this old idea that it's it's not reason that they use. It's either force or fraud. And th- why? Because that's what uh, that's what Nietzsche called the will to power, and that's what we see displayed on the left all the time. It's always about the power. It's never about the process, and the process is what keeps us free. Very well said, and that uh, that often makes me wonder how successful they'll be uh, with all the shortcuts. But they've been very successful, as, as you pointed out, this far. Uh, Chris, we have about five minutes left. I want to make sure we do this before we uh, run out of time. Where can people listen to the show, the Seth and Chris show? Oh, the Seth and Chris show, you, if you're in Phoenix, of course, you can uh, listen on 960 AM, The Patriot, or you can uh, stream it online uh, you, if you have the iHeartRadio app or on iHeart. You can go on iTunes or on SoundCloud, look for the Seth and Chris show, or uh, if uh, if all else fails or if it's just easier, you can go on uh, our station's website, and it's always there on uh, 960thepatriot.com. Excellent. Thank what's, you. What, what time uh, What time's your show? We're, uh, we're on 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. Okay. All right, three six p.m. Pacific. Beautiful. And since you're in Arizona, I want to ask you this: I've been seeing a yeah. lot of speculation and rumors. Any, have you heard anything about John McCain and his health? That it may not been reported. I don't think nothing that I nothing that uh, I think hasn't been reported. I think he's generally actually in good health. I don't. I mean, I, I guess I don't have any insight into that that you know isn't hasn't already been said. Okay, um, uh, your book, American Greatness. Um, that's available on World Net Daily Superstores as well as Amazon and uh, on your website, AmericanGreatness.com, AmGreatness.com. Um, and, and let's talk about this and make America great again, American greatness. Uh, this was a talking point uh, made by Trump, a slogan put out there by Trump that, you know, we saw a lot of pushback from the left. And, and we understand that, you know, they're, uh, as you just laid out, that they are, you know, not appreciative of the constitutional system or, or the laws that are in the Constitution and want a, a different form of government. I don't even think they know what that looks like yet. But the is, is Trump going to be able to to get his or much of his agenda through, even with the obstructionists we've seen in the media and in, in Washington? Is he going to be able to to work around that, or do you think he's going to continue to run into these these brick walls that we've been seeing him hit? 
I think the I think the answer is is both. I think he's going to get a lot of his agenda through, but I think it's going to take time. Uh, and it's not going. You know, he obviously did not have that first hundred day honeymoon that presidents usually get. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons for that, and most of them are extremely frustrating to people who support that agenda. Do I think he'll get it through? Yeah, I think he'll get big parts of it through, but, it, you know, he'll get some this year, he'll get some next year. Uh, the, look, the Republicans in Congress, I think, you know, they have a gun that they have a gun at their head, but what they don't seem to understand is that it's in their own hands, right? And they, their own finger is on the trigger. They've got to figure out uh, that this, this is Donald Trump's party. Uh, and that is not uh, that is not to say that uh, the party is some way in, in some way become become a cult of Trump. It hasn't. You know, Trump is a vessel for an agenda that has been very popular in Republican circles and conservative circles forever. This is a this is what he talks about when he talks about things like America first foreign policy or a, a pro citizen immigration policy, a pro worker trade policy. All the things that uh, that made Donald Trump different from the other 16 candidates during the primaries last year. These are things that have been popular in the base of the Republican Party for decades. They just weren't popular in the intellectual crowd, in the elite crowd in Washington, D.C. And what these guys need to realize is that Donald Trump is speaking not just for himself. He is just a representative of the people who elected him. They need to get on, the, they need to get on board with that agenda or go find another job. Right, because you know, they will be replaced if they don't, uh, and it could be by a Democrat or it could be by a Republican. You know, we keep hearing, you know, the Republicans are going to lose the House or the Senate if they don't do X, Y, and Z. Maybe, but may, how about this? You know, that what I think is actually a more likely scenario is what we were talking about earlier. Is maybe what happens is that the, is that the uh, the voters out here want the Trump agenda, and they'll just replace some of the obstructionist Republicans in the primaries. You don't have to worry about the general. They'll get, these guys will get replaced in the primaries, and you, we may wind up with a situation where some of these guys who've been uh, who've been undermining the Trump agenda they get replaced, and uh, they and we come back into 2019 with a better Republican conference in the House and in the Senate. That would be great. That would be great with us. <laughs> well, that's what we're working on. Uh, Chris Buskirk is our guest, has been our guest. We've reached to the end of the program. Chris, thank you so much. I'll tell you what, you, you are a, a joy to talk to, uh, wealth of information, current, and, uh, uh, my goodness, it's great. Um, just one, I, I, please come back and visit with us at some point. Anytime, anytime. It was, look, this was a lot of fun. I actually really, really enjoyed this. It was, uh, you know, so many of the interviews we do are, you know, they're 10 minutes, they're quick, ins and outs. It's fun, it's fun to, uh, to actually have the time to talk about some of these things at length. And you guys are great. Well, thank you. And we're, we're going to be, uh, absolutely sure to, uh, keep mentioning your book, American Greatness, available at, uh, superstore.wnd. Use promo code Hagman. Uh, Chris, again, it's our, it's, it's been our pleasure to have you. Looking forward to having you in again. And of course, even our studio dog here, Lady, and her friend, uh, <laughs> you heard that, uh, uh, I did. I see. Yeah, somehow I knew you were dog people. Uh, we are. We, we <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, we are. Chris, God bless you, my friend. Thank you so very much. Best to, to you. Thanks a bunch. All right. Wow, folks, uh, what a great interview and, uh, yeah, great close great, of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, be sure to check, check out WND Superstore and, uh, order Chris's book. It's a good book. I, I was only to, to, I was only able to go through, uh, the first 
I think third of it uh, because it just came out a couple of days ago. But I got to tell you, it's right on the money. That's a book I'm really looking forward it, to reading. It, it, it really, it's a lot of great information in there, right, Theo? You know, apparently, he's you got know, his opinions in this last minute. All right. Folks, thanks for your belief and your trust in us. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being with us. Until tomorrow, may God bless each and every one of you. Stay safe. Have a great night.